Welcome to Singled Out, the ninth best Guild Ball podcast. Please stand by. Welcome to episode 107. This episode contains some talking about board games, computer game design, a bit about viruses, Smash Brothers on the Nintendo Switch and then has a segment on Aristia. Yep, no guild ball in this one, the next episode will be full of it, don't you worry. From self isolation, it's singled out. <laughs> if we With your host, Andrew Jones. <laughs> Hello. John Cole. Hi there. And I'm Steve Cole, the other person. And what, Steve, are we talking about today? Uh, I think we're all we're having a conversation recording it so we don't all go crazy in our houses not doing anything. So so we thought we'd talk about I think we had two things we want to talk about. One was about sort of just 
old yeah. games in general, games and things like that. So this is not going to be a Guild Ball heavy podcast. In fact, there may be zero Guild Ball content. So for those of you that want to... Why go podcast then? Yeah, why, why, why go on a Guild Ball podcast if you want to hear about Guild Ball? Yeah. Crazy. I've, ne- I've never played it. I hoped you were just going to explain the rules to me for the next few minutes. No? Oh, don't, because then people oh. want us to do beginners cast. We have like four or five beginners episodes. Yeah, you've got hundreds of them. Yeah. So we thought we might talk about bit about old games, a bit about maybe game design and stuff like that. And then we also controversially got John is an actual expert person on like science and, and stuff like that. And apparently there's some sciencey stuff in the air at the moment. So we thought we might actually talk about like viruses and epidemiology a little should bit. Should we do that? I mean, should we should there shouldn't be a relief from people from the, the bleak outside, or should we just go we right, could, right we to could it? We could do it at the end and timestamp it so that people can just ignore let's, it if they don't. Let's do that so people can timestamp it at the end rather than so. We you know, could we... also talk about how great the board game pandemic is. I think it's um it's not bad. It's not bad. I don't think I've ever ever won it. No. I think I've no. The, ga- the game always kind of wins, doesn't it? No, anyway. That's I, I think we should ask the question of what is the appropriate level of... Com- given a lot of people are going to be at home, right, playing board games with their families, what is the appropriate level of competitive play to bring to a household board game? Because, <laughs> because John suggested to our... For those of you who haven't realised by the Glaswegian accent the surname, John is my brother, right? Listener. Um, so you suggested to our family when we were speaking, John, that we should play Monopoly as a yes. family. <laughs> it's my no. favourite game it's the only game I'm good at maybe I'm actually okay at some games but I usually just play you Steve and you're brilliant at most of them so I just make you know it's sort of about Monopoly is, people never, never read the rules like Monopoly if you play it properly where you actually if you, don't, if you land on a square and don't buy it it goes to auction to everyone straight away it makes the game well more interesting but people always yeah. ignore the Monopoly rules um, is that in the rules? Yeah, basically, the, yeah. in the base rules, whenever you go on a, say if you go on a square, like one of the brown ones, and you go, I don't want to buy that for 40 quid, it's rubbish, and then it goes to auction to the whole table, and you could buy it then, if you wanted to. Um, so there's a lot of bluffing involved in it, and, and so on, that actually, and also, you buy out probably yeah, well, fast. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it makes the game kind of progress to stage two quicker. But I think basically, if you land on stage two, what stage two monopoly? When, 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 all, when all the, all the, the properties are, are bought. Right? Because there's that initial rush when you're going around the board, like, panic, and, oh, I want to get it, I want to get it, I want to get it, and then you get everything, and it's all sold out, and then it's about, you know, how you're spending your Grinding money, and what de- deals you're making. It's all about the deals, though. Oh, so the deals man... bad. This is why I hate Monopoly. But why would you play a game called Monopoly if you don't want to make a deal? Come on. You know? yeah, the game was also designed by someone to prove how horrible capitalism was. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. as a punishment, and then the company <laughs> took off that. Went, this is a really good game. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make loads of money out of this. It's brilliant. And didn't pay much. Yeah. They paid, paid like, like 50 quid or something for the, for the rights really? to it. It's a shame. <laughs> it's such a good idea. Yeah, but like, so what I like to do is, is, is you do this deal where it, it, it say, say this, you, you basically should never turn down buying a property, right? You should always buy it if you can, if you can afford it, because that's the only way you can win is to have the properties. You don't even really need buildings. And what I what I like to do is, you, say I've got like one blue, or say I've got two blues and you've got one blue, I'll try and do this deal, which is really hard to say no to, I'll say Steve, right? You've got a blue and I've got two blues and together we're, we're, we, we could team up. And if you give me your blue, right, we can both buy houses on it. So you give me the money and I'll buy the house in my turn. But you get all the profit for anyone who lands on it, Ooh. which is really hard to say no to because you've, got, you've only got this one is, blue this is, getting, this is getting pretty deep now. 
See, yeah. I'm, the trouble is, the trouble is to, to explain more of the Cole family dichotomy. I'm already bored. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just gonna like, even if the deal was good, I'm, I'm either gonna say yes because I want the game to be over, or I'm gonna say no just to irritate you. So then, okay. So what happens then, John? What happens then when people do that? Is it safe to me? Well, you go around enough people. It's the stations when I think when people start kind of dropping out of the game, and, and, and I think I think yeah. So you go around a few people doing this deal, and if, if you can get two, then it's really easy to get the third one off someone, and it takes a while to kind of click because they're getting all the money for nothing, you know. Yeah. And then what you do is because you start to own all the properties, you can then start doing the reverse ways. You say, well, I've only got one card for red, but you've got two. So if you give me the two reds, I'll give you immunity on these other squares that I own and you give me your two reds and you get all the money for red and we can both buy houses on it and eventually it takes people so long to figure out what's going on that you own all the properties and you can't lose are these sort of words legally binding these sort of verbal contracts well it depends on the version of monopoly that you play and like your house rules but yeah because you could be a total snide and, and oh, then, oh you could like you've you never could, done that John. <laughs> <laughs> i haven't done it in this decade let's put it that way. <laughs> Well, currently we're talking about, Monop- about Monopoly, Jade, so it's hardly very serious. So, as a recording, so yeah, about, about, about Monopoly. But it's, a, it's such a boring, it's a boring, just ran, totally random, no-skill game, unless you started doing deals. And if you do deals, like I said, the worst thing is I sound like Donald Trump just now, and that I said for you, Donald Trump would be awful at Monopoly, anyway. Yeah, he probably would be, wouldn't he? He'd tip the board, wouldn't he? Oh, no, he'd Donald Trump, yeah, he'd, he'd be fine at it if he started with, uh, like, everyone Everyone starts with £200, Donald Trump <laughs> starts with eight grand. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, like, how it works, right? So, I've, he's, uh, the thing is, he's probably not actually ever used paper money in his life, so he wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah. He'd probably actually go and try and buy He has still money from the bank, wouldn't he? When someone's back, someone's back turned, it's still money from the, from the FBI. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he would, he would. And, and he'd, you know, he'd, all the beauty pageant cards he'd obviously be really keen on. I, I'm always surprised by, like, I mean, it shows how uh, high culture doesn't actually influence anything, doesn't it? Because, like, Donald Trump's, um, like, Patrick Bateman in the book American Psycho is Donald his hero is Donald Trump. Is it really? I've read the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, if you read it, he's like he like idealizes he idealizes Trump, like, and he's always talking about how like Donald Trump was in like was it Dorsia the restaurant they're always trying to get bookings in and stuff, and yet and yet no one mentioned this in the election. Like no one was like, oh, that famous book about a psycho. Oh, like, that's... I remember because entire chapters about Whitney Houston and Phil Collins and stuff in it. Oh, the um, I actually uh, what was it? For some reason, it came up in the London Gilball chat the other day. Well, like Phil Collins came. That's it. Phil Collins Phil came was. up in the London Gilball chat. So I was just um, copy pasting off the internet. The entire paragraph the, of text. Yeah, about. all of the Phil Collins chat. <laughs> so, um, one of our locals really hates Phil Collins and got so angry about it he left the group because of one of these like Phil Collins monologues. He then came back. Jay did come back very gratefully. <laughs> we had to do it, but it was a. Uh, but people, the best thing about it was people kept coming in and going, why is everyone talking about Phil Collins? And then you could just repost all of the Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the board games? What have you? What are board games that people are playing well, with their families? I was about, I was about to say, I think, um, I think Catan, Settlers of Catan, is probably the modern version of Monopoly, as it is popular and bad. What uh, is it and why is it bad? But are you familiar with Settlers of Catan at all? Settlers of Catan is basically you have a hex-based board. Uh, it's a different game, and basically you have tiles with like... Uh, like 
come with the tiles. So you get like a tile of stone on it, a tile of wood on it, and so on. And you build little towns and try and build build up your big settlement. And it's all very well and lovely. And basically, the way it works is every turn you roll dice, and if your town is on the border of a hex with that number on it, you get the resources. But you roll two d six. Um, so you sort of at the beginning of the game, you go around the circle and you go, okay, I'll have this starting point and my starting hex is next to an 8 and a 6. Or oh, your turn. Or oh, your hex starting hex is next to a 2 and a 4. Good luck. <laughs> enjoy, your, enjoy your pre-decided fun. Yeah, so basically, um, it's a bit more to it than that, because basically you sort of go, go around once, and then once again in reverse order to put down town. So in theory, the person who goes goes first also gets the last pick, which is the worst pick. But no, someone always gets tooled over. You can you can trade for resources and stuff. So a lot, a lot of sort of yeah, I've got three sheep. I'll trade three sheep for your one wood and trade trading resources and stuff. But mainly just the, the bell curve of two to six just destroys you. Games without no trading. I don't ever want to play games that involve trading. I don't get that because you, you you talk a lot, Steve. You should love it. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> care. Okay. Like, I don't, like, that's detail. I do strategy. Oh, I do detail. Like, I can barely concentrate playing Go Ball. That's why everyone I play, I'm like, how far away is that model? But how far away is that model? How far? I, I stopped. Like, it's not that I'm trying to check and be thorough. It's that I can't remember because I lost track. <laughs> so, but aren't you like quite good at Guild Ball though? Now, don't you like do, you sort of distract them by questions until they get so bored of answering them? They go, yeah, fine, Steve. Whatever, he's in. He's in. He's in range. It's basically it. Yeah, I'm not actually breaks them at down. Ball. I just talk sufficient volumes of nonsense that people uh, get confused, and then I win. <laughs> That's uh, a win to win. It's my yeah. solid. Uh, you go, I, you know, like uh, I do have a sort of anti-mansplaining strategy for board games, where you know, because like people will often sit down and explain to you in very great detail about why the thing they're doing is really good, yeah. and uh, which is interesting in a game that you play on clock. <laughs> <laughs> is that model good? Why is that then? Clock. <laughs> uh, what's a good board game? So, Settlers of Canva. I, I still, I still like um, a good board game. Dictionary. Pictionary. I don't play Pictionary for a long time. Pictionary yeah. and and uh, Pictionary is a good one because you could do it uh, in charades over over Zoom. Yeah, you know, See, you could do it with your family and do an isolation. Work. Yeah, hey, that's my hey, that's my fish is very good, isn't it? It's a hex-based fish-based ice uh, ice cap game, and basically you get a that? big a big hexagonal field. Where's it, where's it gone? I'm going to show you it on 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 a, on a radio program. It's pretty bad, really. Um, basically, this is, this is cool. This is even by our standards poor content that you're going to show <laughs> on, a, on a radio show. So you have a bunch of hexes, like so. You have a bunch of hexes laid out in a, in a pattern, and each hex has on it one fish, two fish, or three fish, and your penguin can move in a straight line across the hexes and end somewhere else. So basically, straight lines to come up to grand corners, and where they land, the hex they left is removed. So over time, the board starts to vanish. Oh, that's that, good. And so it's interesting because obviously, if you go onto certain areas, you can kind of effectively isolate part of the board, which yeah. is yours. When you, when you take a hex, that hex is yours. Uh, because yeah. the, fish on, the fish on it is yours. Each, each hex on it has each hex has on it one fish or two fish or three fish. So over time, you gather the fish. But also, if you manage to like make an area yours, well, only you can stay there forever, and you can spend all your turns just happily hoovering up fish. <laughs> Really? That's a good. That sounds good because yeah. I think so, we, the one really I it's like, simple. Like you teach it to, to a kid, but also it's really satisfying. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. a satisfying concept. Just eating fish in the ocean in the ice. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. 
So, um, especially you know, like I, 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 like, I like games which have a really like I like family games like that that have that with the concepts so pleasant, like Carcassonne. I mean, the actual game itself like, there's good. a reasonable level yeah. of strategy, but it's yeah. so pleasant just placing the tiles, making these little cities. Even though that's not really part of the game, like what it looks like in the end, it's still really satisfying. I think have, Ticket um, to Ride looks quite satisfying, like that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's quite light. It's not as good as Journey Through Europe, Steve, which is a that is a good game. Is, where you, you basically just planned a nice holiday. I don't think it was a very big game, was it? It didn't really do very. Well. I don't know. We have King Fog here. King Fog is a game with your lily pads in a big circle, and you have a different colour fog. And little pads are either green, blue, yellow, red, and you have a hand of five cards, each with a number one, one, two, three, four, five, and you have to move on to, on from one little pad to another little pad and end up in your colour. Okay? The thing is, everyone picks a card from their hand face down and they're revealed at the same time. You can move one, two, three, four, five spaces along. So you go, okay, I want to move four spaces to get onto my next red, red pad. Thing is, though, that if a fog is in front of you, leaping over that space doesn't count as a space. And you move from, oh, and you move from the back and you move from the back first, uh, but the lowest, number, oh, okay. the lowest number the lowest number goes first as well. So it's kind of trying to guess how they move. Also, and when you, when you if you lose the turn and don't land on your pad, the card you have is gone, is burned. So, so it's a bit like it's sort of like frog based checkers. Yeah. So eventually, eventually, run out of cards. So like, oh, my my four's gone now, and so you kind of kind of work out what cards they've lost and how what move they can and can't make, and also predicting their moves ahead of theirs, ahead of yours. Um, That's quite good. Yeah, these I like Hive. Really Hive is quite Hive's good. really good. Oh, yeah, Hive's great. Good. Yeah, Hive's really good. Yeah, yeah, and you can play it with only two people, which is yeah. you know if if you're looking if you're not a if you're not a large family if you're a family of two, uh, it's it's like it's good because it scales out in that way as well. Because that came after our trip to France, John, didn't it? Do you remember where we were trying to think of games that you could play? Because we realised that cards yeah. with two players is kind of pish. You, you can play yeah. Romy, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had hives. Well, actually, the little hive counters are currently stacking up the chair leg of my desk. <laughs> <laughs> so, so both fun and practical. <laughs> you know, and now we're in the, uh, you know, now you can't get any uh, DIY supplies or anything like that. Uh, yeah, it's every... also chill. Do you know what? We, 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 me and my sort of pals have really recently, in the last year, got into Risk. Again, you know, started off with the original Risk, and then we tried, I don't know if you guys have tried it, the, um, like, Risk Legacy. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. It looks really cool. Yeah, yeah, and you can kind of like satisfying. have an area that gets like, like like nuked. You can nuke an area just nuke yes. ever. Yeah, you can only really play fifteen games, which is a total gimmick on the side of the game company. But but it's really satisfying because you physically change the board, and if you win, you get to name countries. Hang on, go back. How, do you, how does it work then? What happens? Like so, okay. I've only so played it, normal Risk. So how does so it work? So it's like a similar board to Risk, and the rules are reasonably similar, except you don't set up on every country to start with you have like an actual starting country and you expand out and there's different factions but the big thing about it is there are like packets of stickers and packets that have signs on it saying only open when someone does this or someone does that so there's different conditions like if someone gets 40 reinforcements in one turn you open one of the packets and i won't spoil what they do but there's actually there's whole kinds of like amazing interesting fun things and you put the stickers down on the board which stay there forever and you actually sign your name in the back of the board which with the people that are playing those same people should play the same the, the 15 games that the board allows um so things like when my mate friend dan won the first game he called uh, north america dan won a game dan he, He's terrifying at it. He's so good at manipulating people. But but he, so he Dan Wilson, the... just just for the listener, John, because we are a podcast. Dan, Dan Wilson is the uh, uh, is the current UK Epic champion, That's and right. is the 
created Andrew. I think I mentioned to you that he's the guy who created the list that got banned from like every single epic tournament. Oh, uh, <laughs> the entirely Thunderhawk gunship list. Hogging uh, <laughs> okay, down, then running away again. And I had a T-shirt made at the WTC of <laughs> for people that had played against it because yeah. it was how many so Thunderhawks have been shot down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, so he, he so controversially he played the game and then he won at it as well. He did, yeah. He, he's, yeah. he's he's very good at risk though. But um, but yeah. So 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 he he named North America John cheats. So it was like that for the rest of the game when everyone it manipulated everyone to think that I cheated. Well, I didn't. I don't cheat. Um, and then so, so we played Risk Legacy, which is very good. But what we got into recently, well, there's two other ones. There's Lisk Risk Twenty Lisk Twenty Risk Twenty One O Five, which is like. Kind of like futuristic, you can colonize the, the moon. moon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which is really it has okay. a new angle to it. And um, but you also get sort of special powers. You get uh, commanders that roll a D8 instead of a D6. So that's really satisfying. The best one we played about two months ago, I think, is Risk Europe, which is really hard to get hold of. You actually can't buy it in uh, in Britain. You have to get a European version where it's medieval Europe, and you have crowns. You have different types of trips, and and they kind of sort of roll different types of dice and things like that. Very satisfying. So I'd recommend Risk Europe to anyone. That's so nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also obviously Risk Europe and Risk with the Moon, I assume, breaks the back of the power of Australasia. It really does. <laughs> the, the, the nightmarish hellscape is not getting Australasia and Risk. It's, um, it's, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's very good. Very satisfying. The Moon is it's great fun, Kong. We're going to the Moon! <laughs> I mean, yours. just saying it sounds good, right? <laughs> There's no way. Do you get extra cheese? Do you get anything like that? <laughs> you get 10 cheese counters. You can't do anything with them. There's no, they don't do anything, but you get them, and it's satisfying. You can what maybe about, put, put them into trivial is, pursuit if you like. Is there is there a game that it would be possible to play over like Skype or Zoom with elderly relatives? Because that's the other sort of. Can we use Skype? It's like they've all all the elderly relatives are definitely, and you know, I'm blessed and I'm glad they are. Started using Skype all of a sudden, you, and you are getting. Yeah, but but can they play charades when all you can see on the camera is their midriff? Like that's the tricky <laughs> bit. Like, you're definitely getting like half of someone's head and like uh, that sort of bit. So what other, what game would work in that situation? Can you do something like Boulder Dash, one of those sort of word games um, where you, you have to kind of lie? No, not like that. Oh, that would be quite good, not wouldn't it? Yeah, where you kind of write. Yeah, I don't. You, how would that work? I don't know exactly, but you'd have yeah, to write, line, write. What are the sort of lying games where you like, yeah, because if someone just talks and then you have to t- oh, what, like, were you, were you all, oh, what's it called? It was a TV show, wasn't it? You know, where like, what did I tell you? four people, yeah, four people telling the truth and one person's lying. Call my bluff. I'll call my bluff. Do you remember, like, so when I lived in Amsterdam, I had this, uh, John, sorry, you know the story, like, I had this, like, in, <laughs> this, like, horrible and completely insane flatmate called uh, Stuart from England. Uh, that was what he'd be known as. And he told all that. And he um, and we were watching Call My Bluff on TV in the Netherlands, and he went, "Where do they get those words from?" You're like, "What do you, what do you mean, Stuart?" He's like, "Well, uh, they're not English, are they?" You're like, "Yeah, yeah, they are. That's the that's the point." He's like, "Nah, it can't be. they're not real words. Oh, no, the game hasn't guess which fake words are fake. That's the point." <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Like, oh. 
He's also he would also just list all the types of tea he had. You know, he had uh-huh. about a hundred types, and he'd just be listing. We go, oh, Gray, we've got Lady Gray. And you'd leave the room, and you'd come back ten minutes later, and he'd still be talking through the he list. Pluralized everything as well, oh, didn't he? he like did. you'd go, you'd look at the cupboards, and he'd be like, "This is where you keep your teas, your sugars, your coffees, your pastas." And then the, um, but my uh, my pacifist wife uh, punched him in the face when we moved no, out. We yeah, yeah, Rick really? punched him because he was. Well, he was he, he was, cheated. He cheated it. <laughs> he cheated a carcass on. Um, <laughs> he wasn't a very nice man in general, but he uh, we had a big we had a big rammy with him about not paying. The, he wasn't going to pay the depo- He sort of held the lease for the house, even though he didn't wasn't actually the landlord, and he uh, wasn't going to pay. He was basically holding off everyone who moved out. Never got the deposit back from him, so we'd sort of cornered him early doors. Uh, the old like, scam. I'll give you in the morning when you go, and he um, basically wasn't going to. So Rebecca got so angry with him that. Uh, and she was saying, I, I was going to hit him. And then uh, Rebecca got so, was like, well, Steve can't hit him. I got so angry and she <laughs> <him> herself. <laughs> turned around. And he gave us a deposit back as well. She like, properly. Really? Oh, yeah, she properly. Those of you who don't know her, she's like five foot six. Like, so it's not like she's, uh, this guy's about six foot two or something like that. But, um, that was the only time I've ever seen her raise her fists in anger. And it was very entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> I just remembered another game, but you can't really buy it because it doesn't really exist anymore. Warlords. Do you remember Warlords, Steve? Oh, God, yeah. I, I find out, but it, it, so it's sort of like Risk, except... But, that, John, except explain you, the background to this, because this is, this is niche. It, it, well, it's not as niche as you think, but I'll get to that. So <laughs> it, was, it was our Uncle John's game that his uh, sociology professor made. And he bought a copy from him, and then it sort of went through the family, and we all took turns playing it and borrowing it and stuff. And it's kind of like Risk, except that you, you never roll the dice. What you do is you ha- you have a d6, and you have your stack of troops attacking another territory. Yeah. And what you do is you would hide the dice from the other person and choose a number, and then uh, they would try and guess what number you've chosen. But the trick is, is the number if they guess correctly, that's the number of troops that die. So if you guess big, if you put six in the dice and they guess six, you lose six of your men, which is worse than if you put one. But on your side, if you put six and they don't guess it, you get to move six men forward and you can attack the next country with six instead of if you've chosen one and one. So so there's this whole, it was a really good dynamic between trying to figure out what their plan is and how many men they're actually trying to put forward. So you have all these decoys and all this kind of stuff. And then you get nuclear missiles. And if you nuke a country, you put a black spot on it and it's gone. You can never, ever go back unless you have a turn where you don't do any fighting. It's a really, really satisfying game. Um, but what it turns out, because I, I looked into kind of re, redoing the board and reprinting it and this kind of thing just, for, just as a hobby. And it turns out the Games Workshop bought it. They really? bought, what? Yeah, they they bought, bought the rights way back, like one of the first games they ever did. They bought Warlord and they and they put it set in the fort. I think at that time it was the, the Heresy Worlds. So, you know, we're talking like you know, eighty seven or something like nineteen eighty seven. Right. Oh, so like the Horus Heresy board game that you could get would have been because it was quite a good system, that wasn't it? Like for and a counter thing. Fantastic system. Because it was the game took ages. That was the problem. Uh, yeah, it took ages. And there was, I think if you if if you could do what they've done with lots of games like that recently and putting things like objectives, that kind of stuff. You know, you could speed it up and streamline it, but but th- this it was extremely satisfying decoying people and them trying to work out your plan and fooling them or guessing the other person's plan, which actually yeah. lots of other board games like that you don't really have that. And you removing know, dice from systems is always, I think, quite a good thing because, like, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that's, yeah if you if you re freak, yeah, I, was, I didn't know GW bought that, huh? Yeah, yeah, that was a yeah. 
Exactly. Although, Gita, you blast from the past. Didn't you buy Mana War recently? Oh, Mana War. No, I've got my, my, my six from upstairs, even now. Yeah, it's rubbish. It's it's like 20 years. No longer than I mean, it's, it's such a satisfying idea. And, like, the little ships and the little, like, uh, cars with all the below deck and above deck. But there's no game. Like, you, it's just a total mess. Like, it, because the ships are too, they're slightly too slow, that um, all that happens is, you, and the range isn't long enough, like that kind of equation that you just end up with a mass in the middle and there's not really any point in doing anything else because you can't re- there's no real benefit for kind of sneaking in and out and using the wind and the other thing is is once you've gone downwind that's it that's the game over because you can't it takes the whole rest of the game to get even slightly further back at wind Remember to be able to shoot. do horrible hit and attacks and find me with fire and other horrible things and basically just kite yeah. everyone yeah i remember elves and dwarves being good which makes sense because dwarves had high armor which makes exactly. it's good in that mechanic yeah. and then elves actually had the range didn't they yeah yes yeah. and the empire are pretty good as well but like your bretonian and your and your orcs they were they were kind of rubbish the orcs are hilarious they're like driller killer the thing with the big hammers I mean, orcs are uh, yeah, they had a it's a ship with like a grappling hook that grapples onto other ships and then smashes them to pieces with gigantic hammers. <laughs> it's so orky. I love it. So... I heard a while ago about the most complex board game ever created. Um, like, apparently, no one's ever sure whether anyone actually finished a game of it or not. Is it Ulysses the board? Like Finnegan's Wake, the board? It's no, no, it's just Finnegan's Wake, the role-playing game. <laughs> <laughs> like, which literary, not which literary phenomena are you in now? Play across seven languages. You can only complete it if you're James Joyce. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> Other than that one, we want to know what it actually is now. <laughs> I want to make that game. Is it, is it Coronation Street, the game, and it just <laughs> one night's the game? It just goes on a game inside a game inside a game. The Archers, the board game. Yeah, the Archers, the board game. Do you want to know or not? Yes, we do, we do. But I still, I still want to come back to my concept of Fennigan's Wake, the role-playing game. Um, it's a game set, um, set doing uh, the, um, well, the game's called the Campaign for North Africa. Um, it's um, Desert War over the World War Two. It took, takes apparently around one thousand two hundred hours to play. Has eighteen thousand counters. Teams of five to play. Even the game creator um, said he wasn't sure what you could play it in one go. It was more of an exercise game development than a real, than a real game. Made a sort of thought, exp- thought experiment rather than a real thing. And so it is basically Finnegan's Wake, the board game. <laughs> the, board, the, board, the board was 10 foot long. Um... <laughs> that's, like, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. It's... This is, did he make it? Did he decide to make the game for himself and then realise actually he didn't really want it in the first place and it maybe wasn't a great idea? I'll send Steve the link. No, hang on. It's very, actually, can I screen share on the Skype thing? How do you screen share yeah. this thing? Do do that. Um, oh. There's. Uh, uh, it depends. No idea how to like this. Reducing um, zoom. Depends uh, on. This is a great radio. There's two guys. Someone had a, had a screen share on a, on a podcast. It's oh, really there. Cool. They see the heart in the bottom right. To the left is like two sort of squares, one on top of the other. Oh, I think that's. Screen. The thing is, as well, though, depending on which type of computer and what version of Skype, it's like a different place each right. time. You see my screen, do you? Here we are. Yeah. So here we are. Here's, yeah. here's, here, here's the board. It's a 10 foot long board of North Africa. Um, Whoa. 18,000 counters. In- Eleven more books. Do you know what? That that which is that's that's a game that should be a computer game. Well, I mean, to be honest, if you think think of how how complex like 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 a total war game is, you know how many things <laughs> happen to go on, especially playing like grand campaign of it, all the different armies <clears> in the map at once. Although I'm always curious how how the computer actually simulates that, whether they make things up until you see it. Um, it uh, does, it, does it make it up until you see? No, it's always going on, but it just doesn't it doesn't render it. But it's basically math rather than um. Yeah, the math is not... the thing about um. There's... 
because I'm interested in making the computer game that I make at the moment, kind of learning a little bit of this, that actually Total War, what's behind it is, is actually quite simple. Because when you think about it, imagine like, remember like Command and Conquer, like the original sort of game that anyone really played that was a real-time strategy. You could probably have about a couple hundred tanks and John, our, our listeners are so young and hip, they won't remember Command and Conquer. Okay, well... Yeah, you can have hundreds of little soldiers that you command individually, right? But in Total War, actually during a battle, you probably only have 20 units each because yeah, you have 20... They're made, they're made right? of different people. It doesn't matter, matter at all. Yeah, it doesn't because the number of little peoples is just a kind of graphical got, thing. Yeah, yeah it could, it could, it, that could just be a, a rectangle, couldn't it? Moving like that. And actually the dynamics of the game wouldn't change at all. Only what you would see would change. So actually Total War is not, it's not the most complicated of games, actually, interestingly. You're well, a big fan of Total War as well, aren't you, John and Andrew? You both yeah, play I'm that. not thinking of the, of the grand campaigns where you have sort of the world map and you have sort of hundred different factions at once, um, <laughs> or duking it out. And you go, you know, it says you click enter, and it takes about ten minutes for the different things to happen. <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah, I do, yeah. I don't know why that takes kind of ten minutes because it, it shouldn't really be that much going on because it's not. I don't know. Maybe I think a lot of this what is probably pathfinding. Which is the, the, the kind of computer trying to figure out how 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 to get around the mountains and this kind of thing, rather than maybe the kind of mechanics of of, of, of what resources are adding up and what the the AI is trying to decide to do in this it's kind like of thing. numbers, right, on the spreadsheet? I assume just, exactly. Yeah, it's super. So I don't know if you ever played a game called Crusader Kings too. Which um, is... Yeah, um, I was going to give it a try um, fairly recently because it appeared on my PC a while ago. I'm not sure the board or whether it came through. <laughs> Uh, or a game pack and looked into it. It looks really cool, but it looks it's, so complex. It's utterly fantastic. It is a little complex. You've, it's the sort of game it looks you really have cool, to do the, really cool. do the tutorial. Like, so the battle, it's not about battles. It's, it, I think it's sort of a, it's a, it's a European conquest or world conquest game, but it's also a kind of storytelling game where it's about the kind of randomly, pseudo-randomly generated story of your... Storytelling game, you say, John? Much like the Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> 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 you know, you know um, how Roll Better podcast, there's a rival podcast, John, they're doing a design a model competition for Go Ball. Mm. I wonder, Andrew, could we run a design Finnegan's Wake, the board game competition? <laughs> Fab, it, would, it wouldn't be a board game, it would be a book game, surely. Uh, you know, choices of what to do. I think so. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, yeah, it could be, yeah. <laughs> Any time you like. <laughs> <laughs> No, but but Crusader Kings is fantastic because it's a storytelling game. So it, it, it's about the kind of like adventure your like lineage goes on through, like who they marry, who they die. You end up doing things where you marry someone they're infantile. So you know, late at night, you, you end up assassinating them, and you know, it's all like stuff. Your, your royal family, isn't it? How they progress and stuff, isn't it? Or yeah, sort of dominating the world. Very good. But but the thing I was trying to point out about that is the size of that map is ridiculously enormous. It's probably 10, 50 times bigger than the maps in Total War, like the 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 the, the world maps um and, and it runs really smoothly i think because it doesn't have any of this pathfinding stuff i think it's just because it's just numbers on a spreadsheet basically yeah um good game very like a board game so and like it's puzzled yeah. You took a screenshot and sent it to me of my own face. Oh, I didn't mean to. I think I, I think I was trying to enlarge the screen. You took a screenshot uh, of my own face and sent it to me. It's like, why are you doing that for? Yeah, I can send you more if you want. Uh, <laughs> so we we don't for the for the for the listener to a peek behind the curtain. We're actually using Skype uh, video calling rather than just audio calling because um, we usually don't. Do you usually just do audio? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've found. Tell us if you think that we actually are less talky over of each other because I think we can actually see being actually able to see each other 
yeah. probably means some visual cues that we wouldn't normally it's have. It's better, because like, <laughs> Steve can be talking, I guess we're doing just, just <laughs> yeah. making sure he's sort of... Again, speaking behind the curtain, Andrew just made a rude hand gesture at me, and that's the sort of thing that I would never and I do. And I saw it. Just <laughs> ever. Very, that... rude. Very rude. Yeah. Very rude, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Experience, Darcy. Not playing these childish games, son. Stop playing the actual, the actual games. Your mouth's not small enough to make, not big enough to make that hand gesture, John. <laughs> I know, I know. I had to cut a pea in half to fit it in my tiny mouth earlier on. Uh, for those, importantly, the Cole family, when they were giving out mouths, I got, I got all the mouth, uh, and John got a little, like a little Could mouth. Could you not fit your entire fist in your mouth, Steve? Probably could, but my teeth are too big. Okay. I could, I, it's it's been referred to by a friend that I could fit multiple parts of a male anatomy in my mouth in a way that only a, a person of the night could do. <laughs> Very delicate, Steve. Yeah, that's family friendly, right? So, John, <laughs> you're making a computer game right now, you say? Uh, yes, yeah. So, um, yeah, so my computer game is called Nemesis. I'm, an, I'm a total amateur. I, I do a lot of coding for my work. Um, and I realised I work in informatics, and I realised I've got a very, very good at writing short, efficient scripts. And I That's decided weird. that I've got bored of um, <laughs> bored of playing uh, playing computer games, and um, probably because I got a two year old, and decided to try and make my own. So my game's Nemesis. It's a sort of space spaceship real time strategy game. Um, I'm trying to. It's sort of a little bit like uh, like the Expanse. If you've seen, seen that TV show where there's like oh, yeah, it's yeah. about the, the hard sci fi. That's a good show. Yeah. If anyone's holed up at home and hasn't seen it yet, like... I, I actually think the first, the second half of season one and the first half of season two, like that, that run of ten episodes is probably the best TV I've ever seen. I would say the, the kind of Miller, the detective guy, is fantastic. <laughs> but also, yeah. you know, because we're, I guess, because like we're the sort of generation of the, the flight of the Concords, that the, the, you know, the, the distant future, the year two thousand, they, they now kind of don't tell you what year it's set in. Because everyone in the eighties said it's the year two thousand, it's the future, and now we all laugh at that. So I think you know, like like um, the expanse is set. It doesn't tell you when it's set; it's just the future. Left to imagine it, but it's very good. Um, and also quite like the idea that it's like the solar system. Like the solar system itself is big enough for a whole whole series to go on. Well, yeah, because space is just so empty. Like, it takes months space to is away. big, right? Yeah, so big. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what. Yeah, and this is one of the things I've been really satisfied about my computer game that I'm making is that so it's a real time strategy. Like I don't know, a name's bold on Starcraft or, or Command and Conquer or whatever. Um, but usually have like a kind of line of sight. So you, you know you can hide your units and stuff because they just your opponent can't actually see them. But in this, I've decided because it uses up quite a lot of memory to try and get more ships on them, try to sort of be efficient. So there's no line of sight, so you can actually go anywhere on the map and just see what they're doing. But because it's so ridiculously big, because space is enormous, it's impossible just to hide a fleet somewhere your opponent will never look. If they look there, they'd see it. But it gives us like really nice feel for like how enormous the solar system well, is. There's so many places they can look for it. Those will miss it because it'd be, be like a nebula or something, or it'd be like a... yeah, 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 yeah. Or it'll just it'll just be in a piece of space that you wouldn't think to look because there's so freaking much of it. Um, yeah. So yes, yeah, I don't know. If, should I talk more about my game or is that gonna... do it? Yeah. So so the the kind of basic plot is that it's um so humanity united to make a kind of space elevator, which is like a the concept where you, you basically just put a big, big winch. Mass, big winch, yeah, into yeah. space and you tether an asteroid at the other end and it's it, you know, it could work it would it would work if you could build it, you know, if you could if they could get enough Nine winch tubes, up and yeah. Yeah, so, so, so yeah, it's just so going to be not... Boris Johnson's next big idea. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but it's the science checks out. Basically, giant, it's basically giant space winch uh, to pull things into orbit for that fuel fuel cost of going to having to break the um, escape velocity. 
the problem is that yeah. we can't make a make rope strong enough, basically. Uh, but just space wind sounds idiotic. But it's basically, yeah, but it, it's basically it, it, fairly. It, it, would... it could work as long as you get a strong enough rope. I like. Yeah. I want NASA to announce it. I want them to come out and do the. We've uh, we've we've looked at the science. We have made a cable strong enough to make the giant space winch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, so the idea is that humanity's made this space winch, a giant space winch, <laughs> and they started. <laughs> it's a serious game, guys. Why are you laughing? So it's not the like... title of it. You're going to change the title space from space Nemesis winch. to Space Winch. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I mean, this is great. I'm so glad I'm on this call because that's improved my game massively. Um, yeah. Any time, that's great. That's uh... yeah. And really? While you're while you're designing, can you also look at the Finnegan's Wake? <laughs> <laughs> We'll make a little sub game. Multiple, what's it called? A Morpog. Make a Finnegan's Wake Morpog. Anyway, sorry. Giant Space Winch. Nank Morpog. Nank Morpog. Uh, <laughs> for, the, for those Discworld fans. Uh, yes, yeah, so anyway, so they've made it and then they start colonizing the moon and people get up there and it's all really good and there's a big colony and then they start going to Mars and it's much easier. But then there's a war on Earth between different factions of, uh, of humans and the people, and, and this war spills into space. And the, the people who are now living in space realize that the only chance of survival is to blow up the space winch. So they do that, and, and it falls down to Earth, causes all this dust to come up, and it sort of wipes out a big chunk of the Earth. And this causes the humans on Earth to, like, unite. Um, and, and, and then, you know, they stop their fighting, and now they're kind of wanting to go back into space. And they don't like people that live in space, obviously, because they destroyed their space winch. So this time... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like what a space winch. And then, yeah, and then what happens... Can you believe you smashed my space winch, Martian? <laughs> yeah, so this is where the game starts. You can either go like the Terrans or the Jovians or the Martians. That's the three factions in our solar system. But then they find like a kind of gate made by a kind of super alien species, a bit like in the Expanse. And that takes them into like some several other solar systems where they meet other aliens. But at the very beginning of the game, there's like a, a supernova in the background from like millions of years away and this kind of thing. But what it turns out is that the gates, instead of taking you through, through space, they also take you through time. So the end of the game is you destroying the central nemesis system, 85 million years in the past, 85 million light years away from Earth, which is this supernova you see at the very beginning. So it's like kind of circular thing and it cuts them nice. off from the gate system. But it means that hopefully the humans are all united and happy in the end. And the, how do you how do you actually like make a like what are you trying to do uh -huh. with in terms of like balance to deliver it? Like how do you make a video game? Right. Well, yeah. So there's different like you, you can code it directly, but there's also like actual packages. There's one called Godot or, or or Unreal Engines where it's like a kind of design a game package thing, and you do some little bit of like lighter coding to do it. Um, and then and then you kind of have all your units and, and you kind of make a kind of codex where you can you can just have uh, decide what weapon they want what strength it is i'm going for like dice hit rolls because it adds that nice like random element and it's a little bit like epic armageddon where you've got like three different types of units you've got light medium and heavy which is capital ships which would be war engines and epic this kind of thing so and you can have shots that do different damage depending on what is it 3d is it, is it 2d because i for example oh, um, playing as battlefleet gothic uh the we saw sort a of Mazda 2, basically, yeah, that's basically, it's space, but everything's 2D, as opposed to, like, Homeland, yeah. that's basically but, still 3D, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly, I, I, I think it's, it's 2D, firstly, because... Easier. I, I mean, it's much easier. I'm happy to make, like, a good game, but to do the graphics is, is extreme. Hard. That takes a lot of time and expertise. Yeah, yeah. It's probably trebled, or ten times as much time we're going to the grab. And that's what if only you were related to someone who'd done, a, like, won an Oscar for doing film visual effects, John. And yeah, yeah, if only you liked me. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, but you can do. I mean, indie games, like independent games, which have sort of basic graphics, do very well. Now you buy them on yeah. Steam. Yeah, pounds. I mean, they're very good. From the outside looking in, it seems to me that uh, it's one of the best times it can be to be sort of independent, independent developer. Really, with um, you know, Everyone's Steam and all, the, all, these, all these platforms to get your games out there, it seems like a really good time to do it. Yeah, it's actually extremely easy to get a game on Steam. I was looking into this. You just—it's basically just like submitting a research paper. So you, you, you make your game, you pay a hundred pounds, you send it off to them, they do a kind of peer review, and they get back to you and say yes, no, improve it this way, and then they put it on Steam and they, they have a whole like system for recommend price and all. That it's great stuff. that you can do that. It's, it's great that someone doesn't need Ooh. to have a uh, basically a huge sort of um, a marketing arm and development arm. It can be, it can be yeah. a kind of good idea, and then that be it. You know. You, Launch yeah, it and do exactly. well. That's brilliant. Really good game. I don't know if you ever played Rimworld. That's quite a good one. Now it's it's very different from other games. But how, how yeah. did you come across that game, John? What were you searching for? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Looking into objects like the moon, Steve. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's quite easy to get games up that way. Uh, but also, I think because I, I, I think that there's no particular this model for computer games where um, I'm sorry to talk about computer games, but it's it's you just have to come up with an addictive idea. These, these bigger studios have beautiful graphics, and that's all they have. You don't actually need to have a good game. Whereas I think these independent games, you have to have, you know you have a good game, and that's probably more important. Yeah, I mean, looking from a library, so like Hollywood like, um, like games which we've been playing should help. Good graphics like uh, like Into the Breach, you know, eight uh, bit graphics sort of games, and like uh, Slay the Spire, and a lot a lot of games we've been playing recently. The graphics aren't aren't and it's right home about, but the, the gameplay is the important part, isn't it really? And I think the so. idea. Than and I think I think effects, that's so. lots of games uh, get concepts from from board games. So like for example, I only mean, ever heard of Starcraft. You ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah. It came out in ninety eight. I don't know if you've heard of Steve, but it's, it's it's basically the national sport of South Korea still, and it's primetime TV still twenty years after it came out. And that a lot of the design from that was people that they stole from Games Workshop, and Andy then Chambers? they stole. It, it, it was yeah. Andy Chambers. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, because they basically applied board game dynamics to it, and I think I think computer games and board games sort of talk to each other now, don't they? That there are lots of computer games that are more like board games, and board games have benefited from the the computer game side of of having objectives. You know, like Risk never ends, but now these new ones have objectives, which is something they're taking from computer well, games. I think. Yeah, I was playing a lot of uh, lots of my legacy games. I was playing play a lot of uh, Gloomhaven. You heard that before? Gloomhaven's the dungeon crawling board game, basically cooperative board okay. game. You play, you know, a few of you play against the game. It's got scenarios in it. It's a board game. But it's like a computer game in terms of about eighty percent of the game is locked away at the beginning. So the game, the, bo- the box comes with six characters and a little cardboard envelopes and sort of twelve more characters that are sealed shut and mm-hmm. monsters which you don't even see. And so when you play through the game, you, li- you physically, you literally unlock parts of the games you goes along. Because very much sort of oh, very fun. much sort of a computer game sort of idea, isn't it? The idea of you unlock. Well, it's sort of like if you used to, cause you used to get expansion kits, didn't you, for like things like Warhammer Quest and Space Hulk? But it's well, almost like as if you had, yeah, talisman, but you'd have to like stage unlock them in some way. I think that's a really good idea. I like. What I like do you that. think? Do you think someone could? Because that's the the interesting the board game without end talisman being a good example of that. <laughs> like, I guess how would how would you make one of those games now? Because I think that's that's the sort of like, could you ever is is the board game without end still viable? Because you play sort of D and D, don't you, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do, how does that stay like interesting? As because that's always the thing with those those like really long running well, games. D&D how does that D and D is really isn't really a board game in the same way, is it? Because it's all about. No, um, it's I mean, a lot of D and D mechanics have carried across to computer games 
very much so, like the whole leveling up system. Well, le levels at all is, is, is a yeah. mechanic. I mean, having having a level X character that is from D and D from the seventies, right? Mm. Um, mm. And so the like, XP progression and getting skills, all that is from basically from D and D originally, or virtually all of it is. Um, yeah. But D and D in terms of playing tabletop really does well because partially because character building is good fun, you get to progress and get improve and everything else, but also because you've got storylines. You, you, obviously, you're playing with a GM who basically tells the story as you go along, right? And so it's all about it's, 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 it's storytelling with your friends, and that never change, that, that never gets old because it's always new. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, of course, it's so it's quite social. Like, um, I mean, so I'm only two games, both of which, of course, have stopped being happening happening in real life because no one wants to get ill. Um, so I've spent a good few days now making sure I've got it all happening online because people still want oh, to have cool. that. That sort of that sort of social connection. Um, so I think for me, D and D hits a lot of the a lot of the right points. It has nice rules in it, interesting character progression, both mechanically and also cool stories. And so I think mm -hmm. why D and D does, does very well. Mm. Um, also, also killing yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit of murder. Going to going to, <laughs> going, to going to a room full of natives and murder them for their cash. <laughs> yeah. Which way? That, free, that freedom's really satisfying as well, isn't it? Like yeah, that freedom yeah. to, um, you know, that freedom to kind of do those things that aren't necessarily part of the game, which is great. And I guess that's what video games are a lot of like. Yeah, it's, it's like the ultimate sandbox game, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I think we should call them sandpit, though. I've been thinking about this because sandbox is sort of very American term. It's an American term. Sandpit is what we do. We use a sandpit. It's true. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, and and now, Andrew, <laughs> did you see? Tragically, uh, simply the best podcast have recorded another episode again, so have that's they? also going to hit our yeah. It's uh, they're probably doing an ratisode. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, because uh, they're all locked in. Does it involve Tina so Turner? Simply, what's that? Is it, it's all yeah, Tina Turner, I assume. I'm I'm assuming it's going to. I mean, the usual content is Tina Turner, Rangers, Football Club, and that's pretty much <laughs> it, wasn't it? That was the, that was the crossover this pod. Is a that was the podcast now, isn't it? Sorry, John. You're, you're, yeah. it's, it's even more niche than the time. No, I think I think we if we're gonna have a callback joke on this podcast, I think that is quite a strong one. But they are, yeah, they're recording up. So obviously that's gonna hit our uh, our international audience. Um, so maybe we should double down on on sort of Englishisms or Britishisms. What's favourite? So tea? Sandpit, Sandpit game tea. Yeah, Yorkshire tea right Box. now. Big fan of it. Yorkshire tea. I, I've because uh, we occasionally go on holiday down to bless you. Coffin to your elbow, Andrew. Yeah. I saw that. I saw you sneezed on your hand. You're poor oh, family. Oh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> Cam. How you see me? <laughs> what happens when he goes outside, though, John? What happens when he goes outside now? He used to wash his hands before he goes outside. I saw you. I saw you walk around your 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 um your well your, your balcony. Right. It's the darkest thing right. I've seen for a long time. It scared me. It's like like a prisoner's walking the yard for an hour. It's terrifying. It, 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 yeah, but you see, I've been doing like uh yeah. I've I've uh for those of you that don't know, as if the listener is unaware, I've uh, uh had some uh COVID nineteen symptoms, so have been uh self isolated in okay my now, flat. Right? Yeah, we're basically we're two days until we can be allowed out again, and uh, I'm I'm pretty much fine. I if there wasn't the guidance, I'd have probably have, and you know, I'm, and I could have actually gone into work. I'd have gone into work probably. So does I'd assume explain stuff about the spread of it because yeah. can we change its name to Nurgle's Rot? Can we start a campaign to do that? Would that be okay? I've been thinking about this. Well, like a Kickstarter. Yeah, you know, like um, you know, you do those like you, you those polls you can do, and if you get enough petitions, they can consider well, games workshop it. won't be path to trying to sue the virus. I'm sure they do. It yeah, like they give it. A try. The one I'm amazed about is the Corona beer. Like they, they must be brewing it. Are they? 
Are they? People aren't buying it. Like, the shelves are like, yeah. apparently... I, I, is, I, I say this, I've not been to the supermarket or out of the house, really, for, for about th- for about two weeks. Yeah, yeah. To walk around the block. And then um, the government advice came in, Andrew, right? See, all this time, uh, yeah, I've, been, I've just been working on, like, a series of crap gags for this podcast. As I'm like, so I shall we breach into the, the timestamp where we talk about science and the virus? So if, if, you, if, if you don't want to listen to the virus because, you know, it's kind of bleak uh, and you may want to listen to podcasts for fun stuff if you want to stop now please do i'll talk about biology for a little bit how about that yeah that sounds we uh yeah let's uh, let's play some let's play some transition music um oh, timestamp it i could timestamp it couldn't i 50 minutes oh, that 50 minutes there we go some Mex- yeah some, some mariachi band will play about now i saw an article today uh, that said that um Apparently, we may not be being hit as bad, or maybe the curve's been a bit flattened, but it's too early to tell. I mean, how do you, yeah. how do you, how do you is that, is, I mean, presumably projecting it's kind of hard. Yeah. Should we just quickly flag in case people come to this later? John, what do you do for a living? I oh, yeah, we're just asking. So I study molecular genetics and bioinformatics, which is looking at big data sets to do with biology. I worked in cancer and aging and a thing called epigenetics. And now I work in immune disease and, immune disease and virology. So, so quite a big deal um, for this then. Yeah, it's kind of it's a funny one because it, it's sort of like suddenly everyone starts talking about the thing you do all day long, but with all due respect, no one knows anything about it. So, you know, it's it, it, it's yeah, it, it, I spend a lot of time dispelling strange rumors that are completely understandable that believe and and have them. What are the, the big myths? What are the big myths doing the rounds? Big myths. It's probably easy. Ah, drinking um, water, probably. Drinking water. There's, I mean, there's so many, and it's it's more about sort of little sort of things that people hear, and then it plays sort of Chinese whispers as it goes through word of mouth, you know, and also the people don't really know how to interpret kind of, you know, understandably don't know exactly how to interpret the like bits of advice or whether you should even bother to be interpreting it or not. This kind of stuff. And um, big messy here things like you, if you're blood type A, are you okay? It doesn't make a difference. Um, and and it, it, also these kind of conspiracy theories about, oh, it lives for 10 days on your on your sink instead of one day. Who's right? Or like these myths that half the people in Britain have got it. That's another big one. Where, and really, you just, you just have to just listen to the advice. Like they're being advised by the top people that actually measure it, you know? And they're right. So how do how do like because you were you were explaining to me previously like how viruses work and that they're kind of predictable and stuff like that. How? Uh, yeah. So like yeah yeah. So I guess there's also these ones about like what's unknown. But you know, but back in January, I mean, it's still possible to read a report from January. So it's no wonder people get confused when 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 someone's you know trying to figure out what or read for themselves what it actually does because they might be reading a report from mid January where they didn't know some things. But, but it's not like a sort of horror movie or a game where where the, the virus mutates the cell it does something differently what the virus is doing late december is exactly the same as what it's doing now it infects people at a certain rate and in certain ways it has certain symptoms that are always the same within a certain range you know it's like a distribution it's like 90 percent of people will get this five percent people will get a runny nose this kind of thing for example so it does, it's very very predictable and, and unfortunately it, it 
causes people to need to go to hospital and kills people at certain rates depending on age and things like this so it, 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 now there's been half a million people that have had it there's been about 200,000 people who who have had it that we've got data like actual clinical data so this person got it this day they got better this day they were this age their blood pressure all this stuff so it's, and they've it's all been analyzed and explored so they know an awful lot about it and that's not likely to change so it's not like it's not going to change what what you hear now is how the virus works and what it does so you know the, the, you know, the that kind of stuff that was a bit waffly wasn't it you, know you the... were also saying that um you were saying something like the, the issue is not that it's like like flu that you you were saying about how usually people get flu and things like that when like staggered throughout their ah, life yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's so it. talk about that that's quite interesting because that's that right. i hadn't heard so, like. so put it this way um it it affects so it, children can get it, but but almost it's it's so unlikely that they'll have any actual adverse effects. They just brush it off because their immune systems are so geared up because they get everything right. Anyone who's got a kid and put them in nursery school know this. Basically, just kind of incubator and they get everything. They get better, right? So what happens is it, with a normal bug, one that's been around for a long time, everyone gets it when they're a kid. You know, so like 150 years ago, before we had proper vaccines, everyone would get measles, everyone would get chickenpox, everyone would get all this stuff, which, you know, you know that chickenpox can be bad for you if you don't get it as a child, but you get it when you're 80. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is most people get it when they're young, right? Which builds up immunity, either complete immunity or a partial immunity. Whereas what's happened now is no one's ever had it. So everyone's getting it regardless of what age they are. Yeah, at once. And also regardless of what age they are. So like, let's say, we, let's say in 20 years time when, imagine there was no vaccine in 20 years time basically everyone in the world will have had it um, and now it'll still be there exactly the same as it is now except it won't be a global issue in any way because everyone gets it when they're a kid so right. it'll be, basically it'll be around forever like flus and colds are it's now just a thing I, I think that's that seems like the likely there's, there's different ways to view it we don't know of course so one way is that if, if there's a vaccine comes out and it's a good vaccine we can get rid of it right It'll go away from the world and it'll never come back. It's like smallpox or something like that. Like smallpox, yeah. But the kind of balance of probabilities is that this type of virus, it's a coronavirus, like the cold or the flu, are things that they kind of, they do mutate subtly. They don't mutate in a way which makes them much worse than the previous one, but they mutate in a way which makes it like hard for your body to detect it. So you get these like little strains which can slightly, slightly evade the immune system. So you, know, you can get and a cold. Is that why you need to have multiple flu jabs? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. year they make a new well, kind of flu jab. Yeah, because I've, I've read a while ago that, please tell me if I'm wrong, that basically often often viruses mutate over time, become a bit less bad for you, because ones that are really bad for you kill you off and don't that, survive. That's their aim. That's their aim. They want to hit a sweet... So the cold is basically... The common cold is probably the best the best virus, in a sense, because it, 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 it doesn't hurt you at all, but it spreads. Right, I mean, no one, no one has anything bad about a cold apart from me. some people. Actually, look forward to having a cold, don't they? That's how you what? know. Some people do because they get a week off work <laughs> if it's bad, you know, <coughs> of school or whatever. But um, yeah, so so yeah, that's that's kind of how it works. So they, do, they it doesn't want to kill you. It doesn't have any intention, but they, but it, it, they gradually over time can evolve that way. But the trouble is, is the sort of sweet spot which this virus seems to have is it spreads quite quickly. It does kill people but not a high enough rate that it kind of wipes itself out so the previous ones that come out i think it was china like sars and things yeah, like SARS that, had a that had it was so high and also affected you really quickly whereas this one this is five 
day incubation periods so you can have no symptoms this kind of stuff so that i think that's really what's causing the world to, to shut down is is that it's bad it's not so utterly awful but it's bad enough and the other thing is it, it's the n number it's like you roll a die say you roll say you roll a d100 if you could have such a thing the chance of rolling a 100 is slim but if you roll that you dice <laughs> yeah you could have rolled it yeah. and if you roll that dice 70 million times you're going to get like 70,000 70,000 hundreds right mm. so that's that's kind of the problem it's the number of people you know it can affect everyone in the world so you're rolling seven billion dice <clears throat> so that's that's kind of that's kind of really the issue it, the chance for any individual but it's called the multi-sample phenomenon and the chance of any individual getting it is extremely low steve um <laughs> the chance of it having a bad effect is also extremely low even if you're 80 you know you're still very pretty good odds that you won't get it and if you get it you'll be fine but if there's 10 million old people, <laughs> you know, you roll my dice 10 million times. And that's really what we're doing with isolation, is you're changing that D100 to a D100,000 for everyone. So, yeah, so the idea is that if you end it too fast, you kind of increase the spread of it again. So you have to have an isolation by, by, by a certain point or have a... Uh, have a... Have isolation. No, no, I think isolation just, it just stops you spreading it really so if you've got it before, breaks the chain is that right it breaks, it breaks no, the chain I, I, I'm think... talking about, the, about the, the duration of isolation to make it effective well the duration well firstly the government has to, it has to give like quite broad general advice you know so like they can't say it's one week in this situation two and this and four and this and five and that so like regardless of like specifics you almost you can never work out the specific details of any one infection or your infection or someone else's infection they just give a general advice two weeks is enough it's basically enough that if you've got it, you and then you pass it to your family, like on day five or whatever of you having had it, when you start showing symptoms and this kind of stuff. When you figure out you you figure out you've got it after five days, right? But you've already spread it to your family and there might be like a bit of a, a lag. So the two weeks is enough for you to recover, plus the lag for anyone else you've given it to in your family group, plus them to recover. Yeah. So that's why it's two weeks. And that's generally enough. But also, we're still practicing distancing, physical distancing. So even if you could still spread it, which you know, it's like a curve where the, the probability diminishes as time goes on after you've had it. If those um, those um, zombie movies, you know, the movie the, where basically everyone's trying to hide out from zombies, and one person gets bitten and he hides it from everyone, and he ends up turning into a zombie in their hideout and fights them all. I always thought, how dumb is that? That's never happened in real life. You know, someone's getting bitten. They're going, look, I've, I've been bitten. I'll, I'll stay away from you guys. You know, but it's so unrealistic. <laughs> Happens here, no, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> turns out, turns, turns out. out. You're going to Snowdonia. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, we don't want to believe that they have it. I wasn't really betting. It was just a sort of, it wasn't a tooth, it was like a claw or something like that, you know? I, I mean, it's, it's got me questioning everything that, because it's now got me questioning, like, if I was in a house by myself and a screaming axe murderer came in, I would now, I'm like, would I now run upstairs? <laughs> would I go up the stairs? <laughs> you know, like, just go to the door and leave. And they go, I'm going to go upstairs and hide under the upstairs bed. Like that's, that's <laughs> the sort of, behavior, sort of behavior that I'd assume. You know, now you, what what happens, John, or Andrew? What happens if I become uh, when I, when I'm a grizzled veteran cop and I'm like a week from retirement 
and I'm going to take on just one more case before I go off to, uh, you know, to get on my boat to live forever and uh, sort of <laughs> up into the sunset. Like, Stainheads. Yeah, I'm, I, exactly. Like, just, just don't come in that last week, but I'm going to take the case now. Now I know how human behavior works. I'm taking I'm, I'm like, I'm too old for this expletive. I'm going to go down to that warehouse by myself without calling for backup. And, I, and I'm going to, like... <laughs> Do a, like freeze, put all your guns down, and someone's gonna sneak up behind me. That's what's gonna happen now. I'm afraid so, Steve. Yeah. Um, do you know another one that people get wrapped up in? Is the thing about this is uh, just to take the fun away again. Is like it's, the, <laughs> it's, it's like the like you're like the Valerian Langton of podcasting, uh, which is the, it's a joke yes. for joke for the listener. <laughs> so. Um. It's the whole like sterile environment thing. Like you know how you can get really obsessed with like cleaning your house at the moment, or like stuff comes to your door if you're if you're lucky enough to be able to have, like booked a delivery slot, um, and you, and you like you may be like scrubbing down. Yeah, yeah, the mythical thing. Um, uh, yes. So um, it, you can't make your house sterile. So you're not trying to do that. You're just trying to like the best you can just do is wash your hands. Don't touch your face. That's it. Just keep washing your hands. Keep touching your face. You can't make your house like a sterile environment. But my bomb. Can I keep touching my bomb? <laughs> like the cheeky girls have told me <laughs> in this time of isolation. You can touch your bum as much as you like. Right. You just yeah, can't touch your face afterwards. Okay, Sorry, good. Steve. I know it's the thing you like to do. <laughs> so wash your hands like your Lady Macbeth after you killed someone. <laughs> out, out damned spot. We are we're literary today. That's right, um, yeah. That's my one thing I know about. Yeah. Um, so and, yeah, I think. Um, how long? No one knows how long. I mean, how long this is going to be here for? Um, do we, in terms of like England being indoors, I guess, and having our indoor lives? Um, um, yeah. So it's like this. This whole thing we talk about exit strategy. So, firstly, we're an island in the UK. Or so, if they can get it out of it, if we can go into isolation long enough that basically no one here has it, they could introduce quarantine for anyone that comes in for two weeks, rigorously sort of follow anything like that up. So they might be able to keep it out. That might be possible. Um, the only real end to it, though, but it's not going to leave the world because it's probably very hard for lots of countries like in Africa and the Middle East and things like that, Syria, for example, to do this. You know, and you have, every country has to get rid of it completely all at the same time. Right, you know, if, if everyone could go into isolation in the whole planet, literally everyone for three weeks, it would be gone and this would be over. But that can't happen, so it's still going to be going around. And if it's going around, it can come back in. So it's likely the, the two the two options basically are they come up with some kind of cure or a treatment that's good enough to to kind of s- slow it up and stop it, which might happen in a year's time or so, or enough people have had it that they're they've got enough built up immunity that it doesn't really spread anymore. And you need something like 60, 70% of the population. Basically, so they're aiming for all of these things at once. So I think we're going to go for isolation for at least the three months period or whatever it is. What are they saying? What are they saying three weeks? No, three months. Come on, it's, well, the, gui- the guidance is... The they're UK guidance. It. Yeah, they've, they've specified three weeks. The um, Not to do the, like, my grandmother's friend knows someone in Parliament yeah. whose sister's... <laughs> But, but a reasonably well-placed... Uh, I can't say because it's someone through my work... Uh, well, basically, so says you know, in and out of lockdown for a year. Yeah, I like think so yeah. three yeah. months, like so a couple so, of months on, month off, couple of months on, month off. Build, like this may have changed by the time. Yeah, they'll, and they'll also do the border lockdown thing, where anyone who comes in back in has to do two weeks or so of quarantine. 
to make sure they don't have it. So that'll probably keep it out of the population. But then they'll have to see, can they actually get it out of the population? They seem to that seem to work in China and the data is very believable. So it could work. Um, so, you know, so we might actually be sort of free, free from that. And then the idea is in a year's time or so, they'll be pretty much done with trials for a jab that you can get for a, inoculation. So... We I think it's normally be... medical trials take a long time, right? Normally medicines and testing yeah. for a number of years, and fast tracking things in general. I mean, seems a bit scary to me. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not by, by any means yeah. anti medicine, but fast no, tracking it is, it is a bit scary. I think, I think, yeah. I mean, you don't want to just inject someone with a kind of broken virus randomly. So, no. <laughs> I, th- I think so. Some of the some of the vaccines are already kind of advanced because it's actually just a modification of ones for like SARS and things like that. So a couple of Dutch groups have basically already got a vaccine under trial because of that. Um, but a lot of the fast track is just bureaucracy. You know, they're just speeding up their bureaucracy and the delays in between. Oh, funding getting, and like, stuff, basically. Yeah, funding and like recruiting patients is quite tricky. You know, but there's no shortage of people now. So no, once they've gone not. through. Yeah, yeah. They have to do animal trials first. Unfortunately, that's just how the system works. And um, you know, they've got through some of them now, so they'll start putting them into people, and then they have to wait a bit of time. But they can fast track it for sure. And to be honest, like in other countries, which I'm not going to name, which have kind of lower human rights records, they'll probably just be giving it to prisoners. Probably. Nasty <laughs> <Past is> that. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> but this got dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark, isn't it? It's pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I think I think it's going to be this for three months and then in and out system um, things will start to get kind of break the back of it in some ways isn't it and then sort of um, yeah, yeah. get back into yeah just kind of acclimatise people to the fact it's a problem I think it's all it's not it's not the zombie apocalypse I'm talking about it's fine the country will recover I think it's more the economic thing obviously it's horrible people dying of course it is but I think the economic thing is maybe worse at the moment well it's worse if you haven't got the illness but if you have got the illness it's pretty bad for you yeah, so I think, yeah, you know if, if you have got a, a grandparent or a person yeah. at risk mm. who's vulnerable it's, i think it's not good for them at all it's you know that's very yeah. scary indeed yeah. um yeah but that's yeah. why we have things like beautiful board games you can enjoy it that's right um i mean currently i'm uh, yeah i'm playing more obviously online i think um yeah dnd online for me and also like um maybe a bit of sort of tabletop simulator um, yeah, the, any, the, the any... London the London Guild Ball meta has, uh, uh, after you know, are being fairly vociferous about not liking Vassal. We've all caved, like folded like a pack of cards, and all installed Vassal and are signing yeah, up for so some. Yeah, so I, I get, I get uh, your. You, you mentioned people's rankings being pumped up via Vassal, Steve. <laughs> With this, uh, I, this, this came out of uh, I was nearly usurped as the number one alchemist player in the world by, I'm sure, very nice uh, gentleman in America, who's most of the as uh, the guys in the club pointed out, almost all their games were online. Um, so I was, so I had a little like, well, oh, this doesn't seem fair if you're not playing but on clock. Did they for the rankings? Didn't you do? They, yeah, apparently they do. Um, uh, which, which I guess, and I feel now like they that's... should have a separate league. Yeah, because so. it's a different thing, isn't it? Uh, well, you thing. you literally play on a clock if you play, like the rules say you have to play on a chess clock. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, I guess if you can't play at all, <laughs> then oh, totally. uh, then Vassal is is fine. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna be happy. And John, as 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 you know, probably actually Andrew, you know reasonably well how technically inept I am. So <laughs> never never is someone gonna Steve, like Steve, if they if the games are on backwards by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. If the games are gonna be played on the internet, like 
I think I'm currently 10th in the world. I firmly expect to be about 900th by the time I'm allowed. I'm ready for Steve to play a game of Gilbert via post. Oh, yeah, yeah, but like, uh, uh, carrier pigeon or telephone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have to play I'd, again. I'd have to probably play against one of the probably against Valerian Langton, who is you know like basically behaves like an Edwardian gentleman. Like, so he can play by semaphore. You, you post someone uh, a letter saying, "Is he eight inches away from the goal?" Like, no. <laughs> how far away is he? <laughs> and again, given how I play goal ball, I'll post them eighteen letters saying, "How far away is that model? How far away is that? Does it have any no. proof?" Yeah, any defense attack? That's a, that's a. But yeah, so I, I've caved and signed up for Vassal. Um, I think uh, uh, I think Connor has as well. Um, so good luck to whoever draws playing against Connor Rooney on uh, an online game where he's speaking down the phone at you. Oh, someone's going to get deaf, don't they? They're going to be really deaf. Like oh, who, I think it's a new players event as well, so some of them won't know him. John, for your for your education, Connor is is one of our local players. He's a Canuck, and uh, the last time he came on this podcast, we didn't actually mic him up. He just started speaking in his flat on the other side of London, and uh, <laughs> Andrew's microphone in Nottingham picked it up. So, 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 so some poor guy who's like in the house by themselves, maybe like you know, in this is like, do you know what? I'm gonna go and play Gilbert, and I'm gonna play online, and I'll learn, and they're gonna get Connor, and they're just gonna be deaf. <laughs> like that's that's like uh, that's what's gonna happen. Some sort of perforated eardrum. Well, I think uh, I think we'll call it there. I think I think we should do more of these uh, isolation podcasts because um, we can talk about uh, board games and horribly infectious diseases at the same time, which is a good combination. Yeah, it's, the, <laughs> it's great. It's cathartic. And um and you know if if anyone's still listening at this point and uh, and they would like us as a you know the, the competition, Andrew. <laughs> you know, Rockbetro doing the designer model competition. If you guys want to submit rules for a designer Finnegan's Wake role-playing game, we will. We will. But the rules can't them. be on more than one side of A4. So uh, yeah, one one page of A4 which explains the Finnegan's Wake role-playing game. To Steve. Uh, I think that's it. Good. Yeah. You know, to you, Andrew. There has to be a layman. Has <laughs> <laughs> to be able to be easily understood by anyone, right? <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll say bye. Bye. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye. out i'm not sure what episode it is anymore or even what day it is um, time is an illusion that's a profound didn't hear a word of it <laughs> excellent <laughs> start you excellent love start uh welcome to the um to probably one of many episodes of what you get when you have uh, a virus which is basically lots of mundane guys making a podcast uh, <laughs> so this will get, keep your hopes up and hopefully you make it all just your recovery so we're here to talk about Smash, which is a game that is kind of a big deal, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like, I guess it's kind of the sister game to Guild Ball, because it turns out if you play Guild Ball competitively, you probably have a little bit of an idea of what Smash is like, somehow. <laughs> yeah, there does seem to be a pretty large crossover. So I've 
played about five minutes of it in my life, and that was with Dom at uh, Vengeance very briefly. Like, yeah, I like, talked you through it. I think we had Reed on. I feel I was playing a swordie. I was probably playing Roy. I think. I think I went random and got a swordie, but I always get fire emblem characters. I think I played. I think I basically played Snake, and then I played maybe played yes. Ryokan because I could do fireballs and things. Yeah, and Snake's like Snake's a really interesting character to play as your first ever Smash game because he's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's kind of what I want to go into because I've watched a documentary today about it on YouTube, and it was interesting how they sort of opened up by saying that first of all. It wasn't meant to be competitive. It meant to be like a party game, mm-hmm. like a um, like my party where everyone gets in a room and beats each other up, and it's quite very fun. And then people kind of slowly realised that it turns into giant, uber competitive, deep game. And unlike Street Fighter games and stuff, it didn't have built-in combos or built-in sort of um, power, power, power moves as such. It's kind of level free flowing. Is that right? Yeah, I guess. I guess that's kind of like one of the you kind of hit on a couple of things initially, kind of drew me to the game so i never played um it was first came out on the, on the nintendo 64 and i've never played the 64 one much but i remember very much getting melee as the first game i had on the gamecube it came packaged with it and kind of i think initially what draws people in other than the fact that chances are if you played a video game or even if you probably haven't you probably know at least one of the characters in the roster is that i think the uh, as an entry point it's very easy to get the hang of even if you're playing with items and all the other bells and silly whistles in it like the entry and like some fighting games where you need to memorize if you can't combos. hear like, if you can't hear rustling in the microphone it's you mm. yeah I, I was <laughs> i have just messaged connor surreptitiously on the side saying, <laughs> stop touching your mic, <laughs> stop touching your mic. i didn't but realize yeah. it was oh, how rude Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, Dom, sorry. No, no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, yeah, like, I think the entry level to Smash is kind of like, it's very accessible as far mm. as fighting games go. Um, the first one on the N64 was the first of its kind, really. It was kind of, it was what's called a platform fighter. So whereas your normal, what we would consider to be a normal fighting game is something like Street Fighter or Marvel vs. Capcom, where it's all kind of on one plane, your characters don't really move much. It's basically left, right, up and down. Whereas in Smash, you still have that, but there's different levels are in play and things can move around the screen. But I think in addition to kind of that kind of like very accessible entry point, having that accessible entry point then means if you want to go to the next stage and you want to play competitively, there's kind of a nice kind of step flow between the two ways of playing the game. Well, it seemed to me also, like, for example, first of all, the documentary was interesting because players were kind of discovering moves as they're going along, discovering tricks quite early on mm-hmm. that almost yeah, by accident pe- in some ways. People create their own combos. They find plays that they tend to find works for them and, and people really easily start to develop their own play styles and their own their own particular style of, of moving fighting everything it's, and um i what, what was it you said a minute ago you, you basically said um about it sort of being a party game and it, yeah what it was a party game i think we've mentioned a little bit already that nintendo are kind of not happy about it being a competitive um game that pe- people play at Big events really? and stuff. They didn't ever want it to become. Yeah, that, there's think. a weird relationship with Nintendo and like tournaments. They tried to stop it from being played at a lot of big events. They've never supported it in the way that like uh you know Namkai or I'm trying to remember who does fighters, but like a lot of the other companies, Capcom, like Capcom, yeah, or um yeah, they they all like pump money into the games and support the competitive scene with prizes and stuff. And uh, Nintendo's always been like the opposite of that. Um, and it was quite that- funny because like at the last Evo, which is the biggest uh, fighting convention in the world for video games, um, um, it was the most played game. Uh, at so 
I mean, whether or not Nintendo wants it to be a f- competitive game, it definitely is one. So it's, it's, it's almost like they're kind of embarrassed by it. In some, um, I wouldn't what? say embarrassed. I just think it's kind of, you know how until recently Games Workshop didn't really interact with the like Warhammer 40k tournament scene? It's probably just not, re- like, if you look at the amount of people that play a game competitively compared to how many people just Tiny. play yeah. it. Exactly. It's, it's really, even though there are all these numbers of people playing at Evo and it's this popular, you compare that to the amount of people that say probably bought Smash Brothers Ultimate, the amount is probably, it, it's relatively minuscule. Yeah, um, GW pre their uh, recent change is actually a very good comparison. Yeah, but in a way, the fact that it managed to survive kind of underground purely on the back of its own fans I think it's another thing that really drew me to the game. It's a very kind of punk zine type of vibe. <laughs> to it. It's like, well, if you're not going to provide it for us, then we'll do it ourselves. To the point when, admittedly, they haven't done many events for it. But when Ultimate first got announced, um, I believe they did. It, it, it certainly wasn't using the, in air quotes, correct tournament rules. But they got a bunch of melee professionals together, a bunch of people who were currently playing Smash 4 at the time, and when Smash Ultimate got announced, they got those group of players together and they put on kind of a Smash Brothers invitational event. And admittedly, it was, it was daft. It had items in, it had all types of silly stages. It's fun to watch, though. Exactly. So, so like, even though they're not doing it on a regular basis, they're still at least now tipping the hats to the <laughs> tournament scene. So the modern game now is uh, Ultimate, is that right? Yes, that's yeah. right. And that's on the Switch. I was looking at Bonnie today. Turns out that's still really expensive. <laughs> yes, yeah, Switch games never. Switch games never seem to drop in price. There's uh, no know, depreciation. Like, we've got they are on Sword, my daughter, and we're looking at Bonnie because it has more games. Oh my god, they're still they keep, keep the price forever. Like 50 yeah. yeah, fifty pl- fifty quid plus is about where Switch games sit, and I think, and it's also Smash is still, I think, definitely in the top ten, maybe even higher of Switch games on on sales. I think still. Yeah, it's um, so, it's definitely one of the top ones. But yeah, so the, how, many characters, how, how, how many characters are that then? Is that, that sort of the definitive version, or is that basically the? Uh, so everyone so, is here. Um, so the base game had, I want to say, about sixty-nine odd characters in it. You then had a DLC pack of five, which introduced Joker, Hero, Anjo, Terry, and Byleth. And they and just Piranha now... Plant. Don't forget oh, Piranha, Piranha Plant. Plant. Oh, Piranha Plant. <laughs> you, you, Piranha you got free if you pre-ordered like I did, which is why I was so so happy to get that. <laughs> and Piranha then they... Plant rules, man. I love yeah. that character. What's well, so just how salty everyone's kind of like like um. So a big thing in Smash is kind of getting your cat, you know, your favorite character into the game. Like you have two characters for who are the villains of the Donkey Kong and Metroid series who. For years and years and years, weren't added to the game. Were added in as kind of like little Easter eggs in the backgrounds of stages or, or things like that. And the campaigns for them to be included were huge. So finally, kind of seeing them added in was like it's like oh, that the fans have finally gotten what they wanted. So having a character kind of slip in like Prana Plant, some people feel like oh, well, my character who deserves a spot has been cheated out of it. Um, I feel so... like I feel like people mostly thought Piranha Plant was funniest though. Yeah, yeah. Um, the. Uh... Yeah, what was interesting is, like, you know, if you look at Smash 64, the original game, it's, I think they're all Nintendo properties. They are, yes. Um, yeah, they all are, yeah. And and they had some weird ones in there, but, like, a lot of classics. And then, yeah, as they've gone on and been more successful, they've got, you know, like, Sonic and uh, Ren, or not Ren, uh, Ken and Ryu, and, like, Terry Bogart and shit tons of Pokemon. Um, so many different characters 
that like you never would have thought to see in the same game. I, well, Snake was the initial one, and he was he was shown at the end of the tra- the very first trailer for Brawl. But I believe Hideo Kojima, who makes the Metal Gear games, was so much of a fan of the N sixty made. <laughs> he was such oh, a fan oh, if he, oh, he'll be back. <laughs> but I like, love a hundred franchise. I hope so. He wanted Snake and Melee. Like that, that was the original plan. He just asked far too late. So that's why Snake is kind of in Brawl, and then kind of the floodgates open from there. And of course, Sonic was like rumored to, like you know how you have like the rumor of Mew being under the truck in Pokemon Red and Blue Sonic was one of those kind of early <laughs> internet rumors of being in Melee so I think that's kind of how he made his way in but yeah there's about 75 odd characters at the moment in Ultimate and I think there's another DLC pack of 6 coming there are 76 plus 6 from DLC I've just checked so, you so with such a big money. sort of community playing it for a long time is there a preferred version or a version that even now for example do the pros all play this version, or do they still prefer the older version that they're used to? Presumably, they're going to be a bit different in places. So it's kind, it's of, kind split. of yeah, split exactly. Yeah. So the community was kind of one community uh, for Smash sixty four and for Melee, and then when Brawl came out uh, for the Nintendo Wii, it kind of split the community because it wasn't really didn't have the same kind of game mechanics that Melee had. And ever since that, there's definitely kind of two communities. There's the people who stick with Melee, and then there's the people who play the current game, whatever that current game may be. Uh, and, like, both are pretty substantial communities. And there is some crossover, but a lot of people only play one game. Like, I've never really played Melee after Brawl came out. So what's um, Brawl because... Melee? What's the differences? What's, what um, platforms are they on, sorry? Uh, Melee was GameCube and Brawl was the original Wii. Got you. So I've actually played, ev- like, quite substantially played every Smash game except for Smash 4, which was the one on the Wii U, because no one had a Wii U. Hmm. Well, I played it on the DS, so I've played a version of it. And uh, then yeah. the games, they, they were still mostly the same. Like, the important bit, which was the free for all mode, was essentially the same. But um, yeah, like Smash Four was, um, which was the one on the Wii. Not great. Yes. Yeah, like by the end of that game, that was definitely a game where the DLC characters walked the meta. Essentially, it also, it was, if, if yeah, you just like, watch it now, the game looks very slow. Yeah, but that was Brawl and Smash Four. Kind of, it was a slow game, wasn't it? Whereas Melee was lightning quick because they developed it in a couple of months yeah. and didn't actually have a good quality process on it. But but even like if you compare them to like Smash Sixty Four and to um, ultimate the, that Smash Four feels slow to me. Mm, like, let alone yeah. to me. But yeah, like the end of Smash Four was basically if you're not playing Cloud or Bayonetta, who were the last two of the last DLC characters, then like you probably weren't competing correctly. So is there is there a balance problem with the modern game? Or the author, no, I think it's quite no, well balanced. Really. Yeah, like generally, what happens is they do like a patch every couple of months. So even if say. I don't think there's been a character that's been as dominant as, say, in Brawl, the Boogeyman was Meta Knight. In Smash 4, kind of the Boogeymen were, like I say, were Cloud and Bayonetta. There hasn't really been anyone that's gotten that close due to the regular kind of updates. But yeah, they've, been, few, they've yeah. just been patching it too soon for things to become that big a problem. Exactly. Like, when Ultimate started, like, for, for some reason, Pichu, right at the gate, was a real strong character. He was high tier, but not but not busted by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but kind of like, again, he got kind of patched, like, really early on. And I think what Nintendo must do, they either look at... I think it's a combination of looking at tournament results and looking at kind of, um, like, online, just normal online data. Because 
for every kind of character, every couple of characters which you go, yes, that kind of nerf was probably worthwhile, they'll come and get K rule before he was actually any good and be like, right, nerf him into the ground. He's really good online. So, yeah, but yeah, is a perfect example of that where like no one ever thought he good competitively, but people found him a huge pain online and he ended up getting nerfed for it. Is it just because his moves tended to work really well when there was the potential slight delay of being online? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically, think... a lot of characters are much better online than in the normal game because of the slight lag. Zoners, things like that, or kind of lag depending. Well, because there's less time to react to things, or more than yeah. lag in terms of blocking and stuff. Yeah, basically, it, you don't have the same ability to react to things when the lag is really bad, or even when it's like slightly bad. Some things that are reactable basically become unreactable. So presumably yeah. you get a meta in this game where it swings around whoever's popular at the time, there's the countless counters to certain characters. Because what if I sort of saw the game to me, because the game seems quite mechanically simple, I wasn't sure how much difference was between characters, but obviously that's completely crap because there's tons of differences. Yeah, there are there are definitely archetypes and a lot of like similar characters. Like especially some of the sorties um play very similar. What are they? What are they? People who hold a sword, basically. Is that what does that make it mostly fire reach or yeah, because they basically play the same type of game. They're fast. They're generally fast characters with good range, uh, but they don't really have projectiles. And most of them don't have like insane amounts of jank or recovery stuff. So they're kind of just like a very solid archetype where you oh, play around with spacing. Yeah, they have kind nothing of, vaguely yeah. interesting to differentiate them. Yeah. <laughs> there, There is a continuous joke among people that I play, particularly at Ultimate, where there are so many Fire Emblem characters that there's there's a Fire Emblem character and it has about six skins. Yeah. I, think I mean, there's, yeah, there's, like, there's a like a couple eight, that are different. Like, like Robin. There's like eight in the cast, for example. There's eight Fire Emblem characters in the cast. But there's also things like, you know, like Dr. Mario. Uh, Mario and Luigi all have similar movesets. And the Echo Fires. but... Similar strengths and weaknesses in some ways, although I think Dr. Mario's a lot worse than the other two. Um, and like another archetype you have is uh, is what's called the Spacey. So mainly due to due to melee, a lot of characters in the Star Fox franchise play quite similar. They fall; they're quite light. So they tend to fall quite quickly. Uh, they combo very. They co- they do combos very well. They have moves that reflect projectiles. So that's kind of another archetype of the Spacey, which would be either Fox McCloud. Falco or Wolf, they're also they've consistently been quite strong across all of the installments. They're uh, like also very Fox fast. And, yeah, both Fox yeah. and Wolf are still kind of considered top tier characters now. Whereas the Swordies, like it tends to vary depending on what game you're looking at. I mean, I don't like. I think Rom, sorry, Rom. <laughs> uh, I know Lucina and Roy are probably up there tier wise. Crom as well, I think. Yeah, I think all three of those. Is Crom slow math? No, Crom is. Uh... Crom is Roy with a different recovery and no sour spots. Okay, so yeah. it's Ike, Ike's slow math. Thing. Ike is Correct, slow math, yeah. yeah. Cool. That made sense to me at all. No, no what spots? Sour spots. So basically, um, some characters, when they hit you, it does the same damage and knocks you as far back regardless what part of the move hits you. Um, but with some characters, basically depending where they hit you depends how much damage they do. So for, like, Marth, he's got basically the tipper of his sword does <laughs> more damage. The very edge of the sword. Yeah. And for, and for uh, Roy, the hilt of his sword does more. So he's kind of a weird swordy because he wants to be in closer than most of them. 
That I didn't know that his, his hilt did more. The the the, ish, the um, example I always think of is Riley, um, where with Riley's um, tail. Ridley, Ridley, yeah. Yeah. Riley. Yeah. yeah. What the hell am I on about? Um, Ridley, the end of her tail is like if you hit them just at the sweet spot, that does massively increase damage. But it's like right on the very tip of the tail. Yeah, that's Ridley's uh, downby, isn't it? So like it's a very uh, kind yeah. of like it's a move with like very slow starter. And like end lag, but if you can get them at a lot of smashes, all to do with spacing. If you get the spacing exactly right on it, it'll knock the opponent out. It'll do a load of damage. Um, and that's kind of what swordies are good. Swordies are quite good, although they don't have projectiles. They can kind of keep you at kind of a medium distance spacing wise to kind of take advantage yeah. of kind of their of the hitboxes and like characters that I tend to prefer playing are ones that are called. Uh, zoners which kind of space even further so zoners are generally characters that have a lot of missiles so they'll just kind of stand at the other side of the stage cap you with a lot of like guns and missile fire and then kind of deliver a uh, deliver a killing blow from there so depending on the character you play you play it will depend on kind of what spacing you want to keep like um, bloody hero yeah yeah in relation to your opponents <laughs> yeah exactly like hero yeah and some characters just randomly kill you with, like requirement whatsoever other than clicking a button and getting lucky God, I hate Hero. <laughs> so, um, Hero is one of the DLC characters that's been added into Ultimate. He's from the Dragon Quest series, and kind of his big mechanic is he, as he is a character from a role-playing game, one of his special moves is he brings up like a box with four different special moves in that will vary each time you take the down B move, and each one of them will do different things and use a different amount of kind of mana points. So, even though it's a fighting game, it's kind of a replication of that role-playing game character, and he's very kind of He's very RNG-based to the point where I swear when he got announced and people started playing him, I think Smash events in Australia were banning him. There was, like, one area of Australia. It wasn't the whole country, but, yeah. yeah. It was, it's one of those things, and it wasn't because you're good. It was just because people really hated how much, like, randomness was involved in the character. <laughs> and one of the actual issues that the character has had is because a lot of it is pulling up this menu and reading what you're going to do, it's a huge problem for international tournaments because a lot of the time you have people who can't read the same language. Oh, that's a good um, point. So, like, you've got that issue of, like, oh, crap. There was a big, like, thing about one American player kept counterpicking Hero into uh, Japanese players because um, they couldn't read the menu fast enough. Ah, uh, like, part of me says that's really bad manners. Part of me says that's taking advantage of whatever edge you can get. Exactly. I, I think the bad manners might win out on there. That feels bad. Yeah, it's not. It's not great, but yeah. I I now can see why that might result in that character being banned. But realistically, no one's really. I, I think there's been realistically. I think I've seen one person who's actually plays on a regular basis in events, and even then, it's like his counter pick character. Yeah, he's the hero's definitely not actually a dominant character in the game no he's like mid he's like mid or low tier or something yeah he's not in our games well yeah it's what's always funny with tier lists right because like for 90 percent of people they don't matter because like a lot of the characters that are the best in the game none of us are good enough to actually do anything with Mm. yeah i mean like look at the characters we play like my my main's k rule who's generally considered to be low tier like you play yoshi connor and i think yeah who i think is somewhere between mid and hot yeah Bowser Bowser's in high tier though. Yeah, he's kind of in that mid high range. They're both like good but not amazing. But yeah, the uh it, it doesn't really matter because a lot of them are like big heavy guys like K Rule and Bowser 
a lot of their weaknesses are a lot harder to take advantage of over the internet because um, that slight lag makes them a lot stronger. Mm. Whereas a lot of like quicker combo heavy characters, it's a lot harder to do those combos when like a slight lag at one point can mess up your timing. Yeah, particularly on Bowser, who is big and unlike say, I went I went back and played a little bit of Melee a few months back. Bowser is not as slow as he used to be. Bowser's actually fairly quick now. No, he's very fast. Yeah. Um, I wonder if part of that was because the the change between and this is really nicely highlighted in the um, the Smash Brothers documentary. The change from when Brawl was released, the massive problem that all Melee um, compared to Melee players had with it was the speed. The whole game had been slowed down. It felt like, and the options for them to do these crazy combos that they could build themselves wasn't there because everything was much more. It was slowed down. Button inputs felt more. Thanks, Connor, for the sound effects. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Button inputs were more sort of like individual. So you do your side B, you then move a bit. You do your side A, you move a bit. You do a neutral A. Whereas before, they've been used to these ridiculously fast high-speed button inputs that let them do these crazy combos. And I think, I wonder if partly Nintendo did listen to that feedback because Ultimate feels like it's closer to melee speed. It's not the same because although I didn't play a lot of melee, I know that melee felt a lot faster. But Ultimate feels much faster than Brawl did. Well, yeah, it's definitely, the, um, it's definitely the in-between point of the... And like even when it first came out, a lot of melee players who absolutely despised um, Smash Four gave it more of a chance because it is mm. kind of like a halfway between, like a compromise between the two. I completely forgot about Smash Four. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, did everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. You've just right. reminded me. But I think yeah, it's the, the only think... one I didn't play. So, but I think the speed of Ultimate is one of my favorite things about it. There's a do- there's a smaller documentary I found on YouTube uh, by a youtube channel called in innuendo studios called things of beauty smash brothers as a spectator sport and oh um, yeah i haven't watched like, that yet what i adore what i adore about well most mostly ultimate but also kind of melee as well less so the middle two games in between the two is like most fighting games are quite static but like me- like smash can be so, like all the moves kind of flow into one another because you, you're not needing to do well depends on the character but most characters don't need to press a million buttons to do a move it's quite often just a button and a direction which you can then take those little individual pieces and put into a larger combo um very much like say a miniatures game like Gilbert or say something like magic as well because you have so many characters as well there's a definite way to kind of like because there are so many characters that you can definitely kind of put your own stamp on your playstyle as well. Like something that was said in the Smash Brothers documentary about Melee was a lot of people, even though Melee has 25 characters, there's only really a few that are actually used in, in competition. Some people can look at um, replays of various Melee matches and go, I can tell the difference between one person's Fox and another person's Fox. Because Melee so because fr- Smash is so freeform, it does really allow you to kind of Put your own stamp on not only your playstyle but also how you play your individual character as well. Um, but yeah, that um, yeah, that smaller video is also a good one on uh, on YouTube as well. It goes more into kind of like the if it's kind of the documentary is more about kind of the history. This is more about kind of the I guess the mechanics of the game, the hitboxes, and how it all there's history. so much content on and YouTube for it. Yeah, it's like about the personalities in it as well because that that I've never been a big um melee or ultimate player i've only ever played it casually with friends so i've never you know gone to an event or anything like that which so i'm very much the the less informed person in, in of, of the three of us um i'm sort of closer to where andrew is and i've played it sort of casually for a bit um 
I've been playing it more recently, particularly with you guys. But what I really love about watching Smash is it is one of those games that I feel can be a very good spectator sport or spectator oh, game, I suppose, because it's fast, but it's particularly ultimate, whereas Melee, I think, is really hard to watch if you don't know what's going on because it is so quick, you almost can't track a lot of what they're doing. But whereas Ultimate's a little slower, it's a lot easier to follow what's going on and you can appreciate the the plays that are being made. And, and because of that difference between, say, something like um, Tekken or Street Fighter, which is very much on a flat plane, the the introduction of verticality and moving around the stage a bit more makes it really interesting because positioning is huge. There are certain characters who do better when they're, you know, playing really near the edge or playing on a vertical or playing below other players. They have sudden massive advantages. And that's a really interesting facet of it, which you don't necessarily get in other fighting games. Totally. And just the fact, the cool thing about Ultimate from like a spectator sport standpoint, although I could get why this would be a huge pain if you played it competitively, is uh, the sheer amount of characters just makes it like absolutely insane to watch. And it never feels like you're watching the same matchups again. Because mm. um, there's just so many characters that get played competitively. And there's, only, there's very few which are considered out-and-out bad as well. And uh, admittedly, Ultimate is a relatively young game in terms of, kind of um, its competitive lifestyle. It's only, I think, maybe two years or so. But... Yeah, not even you know, yet. I don't yeah, think. like like the, the kind of the vast swathe of characters that are generally considered playable is like, well, I mean, you know, there's 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 variations within that, but like, I, I guess it all it comes back to that tier list thing. I guess it depends how much weight do you put into that tier list? Because I think probably it, like Little Mac is probably considered to be widely one of the worst characters in the game. You could probably play him like amongst your friends, and he'd be fine. You could probably take him to most events, and he would probably be okay. Yeah, it's kind of like Gilball in that way, actually, where, like, there clearly are things that are better than other things, but really, you can play anything. Hmm. Um, and, like, if you want to see some, like, some good record, like, because, again, on YouTube, tons of compilations, tons of matches are on there. Like, if you want some really kind of, I think, some players that really encapsulate that spectator sports aspect of the game, because they play particularly showy characters or because they play in a particularly showy way, Dark Wizzy. He's really good. He plays really good Mario. Like he's a character. Like Mario's definitely a character that, although he's going to be kind of generalist, and he certainly is, he definitely prefers stages that have multiple platforms because he's quite good at kind of chaining moves between those platforms to then knock people off at the top. So he's quite good to watch. Uh, another one I like to watch is a guy called T, who plays Pac-Man, and like Pac-Man's one of those characters that is like um. There's a definite kind of learning curve within the game. Like some characters are a lot easier to learn than others, and Pac-Man is really, really complicated. Hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, what, what he's he a weird one. Amazing. Yeah. Also, like uh, Pac-Man is super campy, um, and a lot of people. There's a really weird thing in the Smash community where, like, a lot of people just hate characters that can camp, like a lot more than they do in other fighting games, where that's more like an accepted archetype. And it kind of reminds me of, like, the standoff thing in Gilbo, where some huh. people just, like, freaking hate that so much, even though it's clearly, like, to some extent, always part of the game just because of the core mechanics. Well, I think I think why, I mean, I, I would imagine people think that way in Smash, because we said that so much of it is about that creativity and of that movement. People are very used to kind of being able to do what they want in the game. So as soon as you encounter something that has an element of control or something that goes, no, I'm going to use distance and projectiles to prevent you from doing what you want to do. It's like, well, 
I can no longer do my thing. This is this is awful. This is uh, no, but... this must be boring. Like, but that's not the case at all. Agreed. Like, I think it's all it's all like questions and answers. Yeah, you need to have those characters that shake up the way that most people play or that represent a different way to play the game because people mm. don't always want to play the game the same way. Mm. Which is why, like, in Melee, Hungrybox is currently the number one player and has been for a couple of years now. And uh, he plays Jigglypuff, who's, like, probably the most hated character in that <laughs> game. Uh, and I actually love watching him play. I think he's super fun to watch. And I, I like, I, I legit don't understand Oops, sorry. Is that one mine? Yes, um, definitely. I uh, didn't even move. Um, I think it's just crappy mic. Uh, yeah, I, I legit just don't understand the hate that like his playstyle gets. Like, I think the games that include him is far more interesting as like a difference of styles. Well, I think from what I've gathered, uh, Hungrybox tends to play a very kind of like he goes for very incremental advantages, and he plays. Um, so there's a term in Smash called edge guarding. So unlike a lot of fighting games again, where the stage is essentially just kind of a continuously ongoing flat plane, Smash, well, a lot of the, at least the stages that you use in competitive play, are quite often at least one platform in kind of then an open, empty space, which you can then fall down into. So a valid tactic that people often have is knocking you off the stage and then kind of preventing you from coming back on, which is called edge guarding. And he plays a kind of very incrementally gaining a uh, play style of kind of I'm going to side the stage and basically just do these little moves just to prevent you from coming back on which is it's kind of a very grindy play style whereas like, I think a lot of melee is kind of very fast and very kind of um, you know it's it's movement it's a lot of moves being chained into one another whereas kind of just constantly edge guarding again I think that I think that standoff comparison is, is close it, it's kind of a good comparison it's like it's not an exciting way to play but like it's a valid tactic. Um, <laughs> and also Puff, I guess, can also just get kills out of nowhere sometimes if you're good. So Rest. Yeah. So uh, essentially what Rest is, so all the Jigglypuff or Pokemon, Rest is a move where um, if you hit, it does a ton of damage, has tons of knockback, and at a much lower percent than you would, than you would be able to normally can send a character off the stage. Um, the thing is, the hitbox for it, I believe, is about the size of the gap between Jigglypuff's eyes. So it's tiny. And if you don't land it, well, even if you do land it, like your character is inert for a good couple of seconds afterwards. <laughs> so it can lead to kind of like very quick KOs. Yeah, Jigglypuff's so kind of like a jank character, I guess. So it could be very infuriating, but also is very hard to play. Because of the hitbox size. Yeah, well, yeah, also just in general as well, like Jigglypuff is generally been one of the lightest characters in the game. Generally, doesn't have a lot of good KO moves. Um, in sh- ultimate, in, in melee, ultimate. Jigglypuff has a lot of good KO moves. Um, and I'm not yeah. sure if this is the case in melee as well, but like they've always had a fairly weak shield as well. So you can use shields to kind of like block attacks that are coming in. Puffs drops a lot quicker than anyone else's. And I think it starts quite small because Puff's quite. Like, I feel like I don't know if this is just my perception of it because Puff is small and round. The shield already looks pretty small. Because it just about covers Puff, so then it, when it drops, it's, it goes down quite quickly. So have any of you guys been to tournaments? I have. Uh, what, uh, whereabouts? London or...? Um, so I haven't played it too much competitively. I played in a... There was a kind of a arcade that was in when I was in South Wales in Newport that was open briefly. And I played a... I want to say it was a Brawl slash Project M event there. Didn't do too well. Um, but in the last couple of months I was living down in Cardiff, kind of a arcade with a lot of old gaming consoles opened up. 
but it also had this sideline of having gaming tournaments on, um, and Smash is kind of a very popular tournament game. So I played a couple, I think I played like two ultimate events there. Um, I didn't do amazingly well, but I quite often got like half the way through losers brackets before um, kind of getting knocked out. But again, I, like the, my main, my main character is not a high tier in the slightest, so that definitely contributes. And although I'm okay at the game, I definitely don't have a handle on, say, like a lot of the hidden tech that's in the game at all. So I have played in events. I I've done okay. <laughs> By hidden tech, surely by now the game isn't hidden. Like, sure, like like hidden tech. Or... Yeah, sure. Like hidden tech is just kind of the, if kind of the, I guess it's kind of stuff that's in the game that's in between the lines. So if kind of the, the main core of the game is kind of what is actually written down, the air quotes hidden tech is kind of what people kind of discover by playing it and playing it and playing it and go, oh, oh this, this this little thing here. Little niches here and there. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very prevalent in Melee and the, the, it does exist also in kind of Ultimate as well, but like I'm I'm good for someone who just knows the basics of the game. I've never really kind of applied myself to know kind of what goes in between it. How's the community? Are they nice or are they a bunch of ugly nerds? It's a, it's a mix, I would yeah. say. As are most, there's a lot of people who get realty on Twitter, uh, which I'm sure is not something you've ever uh, come across in any other gaming community. (laughs) No, everyone's normally like really they keep their opinions to themselves. They're very measured in their responses. That's always what I found about nerds. Like erratas and patches are never like a big deal. No one complains Mm. about Mm. how certain characters were missed or over nerfed, or you know. I'm sure those reaction t- reactions are over, and that will never, never happen again. No, exactly. no, I shouldn't think so. Um, it's, well, the other thing I do really like, and um, you really get this impression watching the Smash Brothers, is that you get you get the personalities of the players become things. It's like watching WWE. There's like there are people who are heels. Oh, smack talk, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. There are, yeah. Like, pe- there are like, and I've not really watched much competitive video gaming of any other type. So this might be a thing that's really really common. And I just don't know about it because I'm uncultured and ignorant of these things but like you you get people that, that the whole community loves to hate they still do really really well but everyone loves to hate them and they love to like root the, the underdog yeah the, the big one i always think of is leffen who's a swedish player who's really good at melee but has also been really good in like non-smash games he's probably the best smash player at traditional fighting games but every so often he'll just like try a new and then post about how shit it is and get absolutely <laughs> flamed by, like, the fans of that game. Uh, and he, he has such a, like, filled <laughs> relationship with Ultimate as well. So, like, his Twitter is just, like, constant, like, Didn't he get absolutely slammed by Hero at, like, an event? And, he's, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's a funny guy because he just gets so angry so easy. And then, and then he'll, like, moan about this game that he just started playing that like he thinks has got like problems and this crap and will just get absolutely destroyed by the community for that game uh <laughs> even even if like half the time what he says is like something that a lot of people in that game agree it's just because he says it like people get even angrier i'm disagreeing on general principle so um imagine i'm someone who doesn't play the game i don't want to play it very soon like how would you recommend i start it off like certain characters or certain play styles or all I would, um, I would start by unlocking all the characters. Like, so what's the aren't, the aren't all immediately? What's the play through? What missions first to get them unlocked? Do you or? Oh, well, there's kind of two ways of doing it. In ultimate, you can either play through the story mode, which is absolute garbage, 
Oh, <laughs> it's uh, so bad. It's, bad. it's not even really a story. Not as deep plot, is it? <laughs> Although, the opening cinematic is pretty cool. And, like, yeah. if you complete it, you do get to unlock music for the menus in the prior Smash games as well. So that's the only reason I did it. Was because I wanted, you like... You actually the... finished it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you're, think you're I did, like, one of an two hour people of it and was like, this is really boring and <laughs> So did I, but then I found out you could have the N64 menu select theme as your menu select theme and i was like oh mate it's, i'm oh, kind yeah. of glad that's, I did that's the really that. important stuff dom yeah right well um the, the kind of the two actual ways people did it in ultimate was you either completed the classic mode for every character which is kind of just like a normal arcade mode in a fighter or if you wanted to be really efficient at it you would just kind of do loads of one stock versus matches against yourself jump off the edge of the stage and just unlock them really quickly um but yeah like so unlock everything and then kind of there are definite characters that are easier to pick up than others but realistically i think you could probably pick up most characters save maybe a handful and they're probably easy enough to understand yeah because it, it was i think you're saying that you're playing a character who's low, low tier or not top tier presumably because you just found one that you really like playing oh yeah like that also works like like for me i tend to like I tend to play the characters that I, look, that I like the look of. Like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the same as Dom in that way. I've yeah. basically always loved him in like, all the Mario games. Always played him in Mario Kart and everything, and basically have played him in every Smash game, just because I think he's an adorable <laughs> little dinosaur. Uh, I'm I like exactly that way with Kirby, because I love my small pink son. And I will, I will always, <laughs> I will always play Kirby just because Kirby is a really weird one as well because he's so light that if you play against people who are good like Connor and and Tom, I get I get pretty soundly beaten when I play Kirby. But I just love yeah. it; it's so much fun. Yeah, Kirby's quite funny too because he's the character that was designed by the guy who designed Smash, um, Sakurai, and so in the very first Smash game. <laughs> Kirby was super broken and was probably the best character in the game. Uh, but every game since then, he's been pretty bad, which is kind of funny. It's almost like he made this game for fun. And then when he realized that people were going to take it competitively, he's like, well, no one's going to play my character. <laughs> well, you say that, the, like, Brawl, the boogeyman of that game, was another one of Sakurai's characters, which was Meta yeah. But I think, like, oh Kirby, my god, like Kirby is one of those characters. He's kind of like, even though he's actually low tier competitively, if you're just playing it casually, he's kind of one of he's kind of like one of those griefer boogeyman characters himself because he, because his downbeat is really <laughs> because good. of the downbeat. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. people get caught out so much by it when they're not like they haven't played a huge amount of Smash because they think, oh, well, he's above me. It's fine. <laughs> just downbeat drop on their head. Essentially, what his downbeat is, he turns uh, he turns into a rock, which makes him invulnerable for a couple of seconds. But if he if you turn into that rock and you're in the sky, you drop on top of people quite quickly. So it's kind of like if you don't see it coming, it's very hard to avoid. But if you play, so he'll change his direction pretty fast, and suddenly, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of kind of like good start characters, like I think the heavy. So like you have different weight classes within the characters. So you have light characters, middle sized characters, and heavy. Yeah. Ones. So the, your health is basically the more times you take, the more you get bounced around. In the end, exactly. Off, yeah, so and the lighter you are, so... the further you get knocked. So if you're light characters, mm -hmm. surely you're at a disadvantage, right? Not necessarily. Lighter characters tend to be better at comboing, but because of that... And they're, they're, they're faster, also... often. Exactly. Like, but because of that, they can often be a little bit hard to kind of pick up. So, Except like... for Kirby, who is neither faster at combos. <laughs> exactly. So not necessarily. Like, <laughs> but the, re but the recovery is yeah. But um, yeah, like, I'd, yeah, I'd say but... either either a heavy character like a Bowser 
or a Ganondorf or a sword character are probably the easiest ones to learn on. Although someone like Mario is also quite good because he's just a ge- or Yoshi because they're just general all rounders that are pretty good at everything. Play him off, and then you know how to play like six characters. What I would say, what I would say, there's probably just kind of like more so about ten or so characters which are probably too complex to start off with. So like maybe ones like um, Shulk, for example, who's a character from Xenoblade, who has like a he's a sword fighter, but he can change how his sword works. Oh, his sort of modes to play in the games. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff. Or say um, Olimar from the Pikmin franchise. You can pick these little plants out of the ground and throw them at people. Now each one of the Pikmin has different kind of like properties to it. So not only are you tracking what your character's doing, you're also kind of tracking these little things that are behind them as well. Uh, maybe Pokemon Trainer because that's actually three different characters in one that you can swap between. So although there are ones that I'd probably say are good for start pe- people starting, there's actually I would actually say it's more of a here are kind of a dozen or so which I probably wouldn't start with for one reason or another because they're too complex. Like like you could start with Peach for example, and she's probably fine to start with realistically. Peach is um, pretty solid as well. Yeah, like she's always been high tier, like broadly. Like she was really good in melee, and she's like up there in. Like up there, up up there in ultimate as well. Um, but yeah, like like the yeah, like you can't go wrong with a heavy. Although some of the heavies recovery isn't actually it's not entirely true because Kairu recovers recovers really well. So does Bowser. It's only really Ganon, but Ganon kind of also. So at tournaments, are there certain characters who are worth the top after, or is it quite balanced? Yeah, yeah, there definitely are some you see more, um, but it's still like if you choose like the top ten of a given. Uh, Smash Ultimate tournament, it'll usually be a pretty varied selection. That's nice. Yeah, so like at events you'll tend to see a lot of kind of, like, like I said, the Swordies or the Spacey just because they're a good generic archetype. Uh, Palutena from the Kid Icarus games is... Oh, like, I God, her. I hate Palutena. So she's kind of, she's, she's, a, she's a good example of the, of the Zona. So she'll quite often yeah. kind of stand back, hit you with missiles and then just repeat a lot of aerial attacks. Yeah, so, her, her, uh, her jump up... Uh, her jump up near attack, so if she jumps and just hits the A button, basically does everything. It combos, it kills, it has good range, it's fast. Like, it's just one of the best moves. You can just basically kind of mash that and go right. So she's a pretty good character. Eddie Gordo of the game. Yeah. Um, I find esports really interesting because I've watched a lot of uh, I watched a lot of Overwatch League in the past um, and a lot of League of Legends. Uh, two I've watched mainly. It's interesting seeing players who are are good and they do things which you think are physically possible. Um, the level of skill people get at some games is through the roof. I'm going to assume Smash has got pro players who also oh, make you just go totally. blind. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like that, you see some tricks that some people pull off. Like a lot of the stages, like I said before, are kind of individual platforms held in a space. And you see some people that can get their characters to basically. So, where most characters can only jump twice and then do a up and B move to basically jump again. Some characters can kind of move more, but it's quite uncommon. But what some people are able to do with their characters, they're able to kind of fall off the edge of the stage and then basically jump around the bottom and then go back up again. Not, now, not every character can do it, but when you see people do this type of tricks, it's just like... By sort of grabbing onto sort of pixel-perfect sort of handholds and things. And timing, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like... Yeah, there's, like, there's a good kind of cadre of like professional players which always tends to do well at events like um more so in like in smash 4 there was a guy called zero who just streams now and i think he wants something like 40 plus tournaments in a row which is like unheard of like yeah he he was he was there's no he was on a crazy streak and uh like mk leo who's the top smash ultimate player 
from I Eastern Mexico. The yeah. worst he did in the last competitive year was second at an event. He never came lower than second. I think he only came second at like three of his like fifteen events he went to or something. And although he was playing absolute a, madness, although he was often playing, he's playing mostly playing a character called Joker from Persona Five, who is considered to be a high tier character, but no one else really plays Joker. It's basically that character is probably in high tier purely on the back of MKLeo, probably. Yeah, he he's got like some nut strengths and weaknesses, but like. Yeah, it's just not easy to actually play. Like, I played a little bit of Joker when the <laughs> character came out, and it's a huge, like, it's a really difficult character to play. He's kind of a combo character that has, like, a little bit of a comeback mechanic. So he has a little bar next to his health bar, which kind of fills up over time, goes fills up quicker as you take damage. And when that bar reaches the very top, he kind of brings out, um, it's, from the Persona game, his Persona called um, Arsene, I believe, who basically just powers up a whole bunch of his moves. So that can be a comeback mechanic, but also when you're really good like MKLeo, it can also just be a massive win more button. Yeah. <laughs> um. it, it, it's kind of like, a lot of those like quote-unquote comeback mechanics in games end up just being win more mechanics, where you're yeah. just like, oh, this actually, I could just, you know, it's an even game, and now I get this and you lose. <laughs> Like, Wario has a thing where after a certain amount of time in the match, he gets waft, which is basically, he just lets rip a huge fart, and it's, <laughs> one, of the, and it's one of the strongest moves in the entire game. So if you del- delay for long enough, basically, you get a mega move. Yeah. Yeah, That's at least fine. in the case of Wario, anyway. Um... Final smashes are fun. Uh, we <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about those. Talking <laughs> about something because I totally cause forgot they existed. You, you tend to see like it's specifically in competitive, but also a lot of people when they play casually turn off items. So yes. the game comes with dozens and dozens, and in ultimate there are like I don't know <laughs> dozens and dozens of items that you can play with, and some of them are a lot of fun. They tend to add a, a element of wacky silliness to the game. So I'll, I'll assume a... for pro tournaments, they're bad because they're random. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And some of them are busted. Like there's there's one in particular which I always think of, which is the the, the big one that everyone will remember is pokeballs. So a pokeball will appear. You'll pick it up. You'll throw it, and a pokemon will, will come out and help you. And sometimes it helps you a teeny tiny bit, and sometimes it basically auto wins you the game. <laughs> and they that unpredictability um, and that removal of any element of skill on your part is what obviously the the competitive community doesn't like yeah and even and even not playing competitively like i used to like playing with items in some of the earliest games like smash 64 but there's so many items now that it's not even like you can be like oh there's this item i want to grab it and do this you just there's like hundreds of items so it's almost just like random uh, but what I do want to do at some point is, uh, and I remember I used to do this in Smash 64, is you can actually choose what items are on. Yeah. And uh, playing all bomb bombs, so the Mario bombs that explode <laughs> when you throw them and hit things, is uh, quite a lot of fun. So um, you can kind of select for a pool of ones that aren't utterly broken. You can specifically select which ones you want to have on. The one that I think a lot of people turn off are Pokeballs and Assist Trophies. Because Assist Trophies are basically kind of like Pokeballs, but your Pokemon is any character from any game they decided to include. Including and they tend to be Rathalos. stronger than Pokeballs too. The Rathalos is always my favourite. When, yeah. when you pick up a trophy and suddenly a massive dragon appears on one side of the screen and just wipes out everyone. Yeah, although then there's the other, the other method, uh, the other game style I've played is you play only Pokeballs, uh, but yeah. you're actually not allowed to attack your opponents. 
Pokemon, man. So actual Pokemon, then. Yeah. Actual Pokemon. So you only... have to... Yeah. But it no only attacks. targets the trainers, not the other Pokemon. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Go for the eyes. It's like the Pokemon <laughs> rebelling. They're just oh, my like... gosh. This is yeah, the that... darkest universe of Pokemon we've ever seen. Yeah, it's fun. I've read my daughter the Pokemon uh, co- uh, comics by now, the, the manga. It's pretty dark. It's much darker. Oh, yeah. Do you look at horrible? Like, proper sort of kidnapping going on and everything. You know. It's almost like they're foot soldiers of the Pokemon Mafia. Huh, weird. Yeah, like, yeah, the Pokemon are just going for, get going for you at that point. Scary stuff. It's much more sanitized than the, the lovely cartoon when a 10 year old boy walks in the forest to have adventures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Oh, um, I feel like I had some smashing direction today. That's good. Sorry, sorry, you're saying something. I interrupted you. Someone says something. No, I don't think oh. so. I don't know. But, uh, oh. yeah, so uh, when are you picking up the game? Join the party. Got nothing else to do. Quid I'm cheap. <laughs> yeah, I spent all my money right now on on printers. So on printers. Um, yeah, I bought two 3D printers in basically oh. a month. Wow. Um, so I bought a FDM one to print out plastic terrain, um, and then I bought a resin one um, a week later. That's money. Um, so, nice. Yeah, if you if you want to if you want to spend a month being angry at things and things not working, buy two 3D printers <laughs> a month. My word. Yeah, I can't imagine something <laughs> less appealing to me than uh, buying more expensive technology that I won't be able to make work. <laughs> I mean, they work, they work now, but my goodness, it's. Um, I'm also glad I bought um, a lot of ethanol and rubber gloves before the coronavirus because you can't get more of them now. <laughs> oh, I thought you just were getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, just five liters of pure alcohol. I don't, I don't mind if my, my printer's not working when I'm wasted. It's fine. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> It's, it's pretty ins- it's pretty fun. Um, yeah, so printing up models and things in a case it doesn't work. And you go, why didn't it work? And people go, I don't know. It's like, oh. <laughs> I still, I think, I look forward to seeing what you do print, though, when you do have them working. Well, Maybe working we'll out. finally yeah. see Resin Butcher. <laughs> Steady on. Right, let's not get silly, Connor, because talking about things also, that you Also, I'm sorry, uh, there's actually a, a Smash podcast, not a Guild podcast, so... Yeah. yeah. What game are you talking well, I about? Fig- huh? I figured Smash you don't Smash. talk about Gilball and the Gilball ones, so we should. Uh, I think it's on. It's just Steve well, now more, doing that. I, I guess it. that's more of a role. Hey, we talk about Gilball. We just talk about how much we love GW products first, don't we? That's our thing. Yeah. And Warcraft. Now. Warcraft. Uh, oh, that's oh, that's Parish. Parish goes on about Warcraft and Dota. Him and Dan. I think about World of Warcraft is that like it is kind of cool, but I don't have to spend like. You know the South Park episode where they spend basically six months killing boars? Yeah. Yeah, but that's basically what it's like, right? It's, Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Kill, you kill heaps of pigs, which, yeah, cool, if that's your jam. Memorpagus just was never, never for me. I would have liked good, to but... get into yeah. the uh, Star Wars one. I tried. I really tried with... Oh, no, Galaxy not with Galaxy. Old school, I, that's old school, yeah. I tried yeah, with yeah. Um, the Old Republic. Um, and Oh, yeah, that one never appealed to me as much. I gave it a good go. Galaxy's the, about... the one where they had hidden how to be they hid how to be Jedi Knight for like years, didn't they? And then someone unlocked it, and then suddenly everyone was Jedi. Well, yeah, they, they changed it because at first it was really, really tough and took ages, and it was like secret and obscure, really obscure. hidden cool. away. And I thought, it was yeah. Cool. yeah, but then they changed it in an update after a couple of years, and we're just like, now everyone can be Jedi. So then you've just got two thousand. 200,000 people running around with lightsabers. Like, yeah, and you're like, huh, how has the Empire not been different with, like, 700 <laughs> Jedi around? I love the single-player Knights games. They're great. I mean, if I'm some more of those, 
Oh yeah. I heard the latest uh, Star Wars game was quite good actually. Oh, the Dark Souls. Uh, it's a Souls like, yeah, it, but it is yeah. a lot of fun. I actually just traded it in because I played through it a couple of times and I it's good. It, it, yeah, it was one of those games where I really really loved it. It was a lot of fun, but it was after I played through it a couple of times I was like, actually I kind of don't need to play through it again. I didn't feel there was a lot of replayability well, with it. Through it twice is pretty good though. I mean, yeah. so pretty solid. The gameplay is really 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 good i mean it's a dark souls game so it's challenging really interesting oh, I'm out. mechanics <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah as, as a game to to try hard out it was it was quite a lot it was a lot of fun because i've got stuff like if i want to put on my rpg shoes i play witch i That's... tried it didn't get on with it i think i've got <gasps> part based ones I played it. well it's, it's oh, the book's really cool i mean the book right now it's really cool obviously i really like the show the world's the show cool was fun um, yeah just, um, the whole um I prefer sort of party-based, sort of turn-based RPGs a bit more, I think. Than, um, oh, fair enough. Did you ever play um, um, Knights of the Old Republic? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I love KOTOR. KOTOR 2, man. What a game. HK47. Oh, what a lad. <laughs> what the best <laughs> character in any Star Wars game. <laughs> oh, so my God. Cool. This is your wrong end. Baldur's Gate was still my all-time favorite RPG. Uh, Baldur's Gate, I think, uh, I think I played it too late. Like I played other games before it, and uh, so the difficulty curve smashed me too much. Although I'm currently playing Pathfinder Kingmaker, which is basically the same sort of game. Isn't the uh, third one coming out soon? Yeah, it looks amazing because the guys made it made Divinity um, to be really solid sort of turn-based RPG. Yeah, it's uh. also fifth edition D and D is really good in general. So having a game based on that, I'm yeah, I could see that. I do really enjoy fifth ed. It's it's superb. Like I'm running a couple of games for it right now. I'm playing another one, and um, it's just a great game. Fifth, really. I think it captures all the feeling of D and D. It's quite simple, and also it's amazing how popular it's become. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, sh- like, show, shows like Critical Role, but um, and a few and a few others doing online content and Twitch um, games has really, really. I think Hasbro announced it. recently. Like um, I think it's it's sales increased five years in a row. Wow, that's crazy. Man. Yeah, it was yeah. Sort of that, like books never used to sell that much. So like role playing stuff was like it's an entire industry built around selling these books. Like for Critical Role, just wasn't a thing. Just wasn't yeah. a thing. Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's cool now, but it's certainly cooler than it was. And like you have sort of celebrities playing it and stuff. Yeah, it may it might not be not cool. I mean, it might not be cool, but it's also not not cool anymore. People don't. Like, it's just like a normal. Yeah, people don't back away slowly when you say you play RPGs. Like it's. Yeah, it's because I smell. Yeah, that, that's yeah, it's a whole there, different reason. There's many it. other reasons people back away. <laughs> uh, I will say goodbye um, to, I guess, the podcast um, and, and to you lot. Uh, thank you for coming on, guys. Thanks for having us. And goodbye, Craig. Thanks for having us, yeah. We're going to talk about uh, leagues in Aristea and in specifically the AGL manager mod from the league rules. Uh, and also we're going to talk a bit about the latest expansion, which came out a few months ago now, uh, Double Trouble, featuring Legong and Moonchild. Oh. Who are both proving very, very popular very, very quickly. Yeah, so uh, one of the people on the Discord channel that we use posted some of the stats from the Spanish community, and Lei Gong is, I think, the third most taken Aristea in the month of March. Yep, he is the third most, and Moonchild is the sixth most, um, moving up massively from February. Um, but yeah, they the two of them have certainly shaken up the 
meta over there um and it'll be interesting to hear from viewers or listeners um listeners whether they've had the same impact for you how are you finding the two of them on the table but we'll get into them a little later absolutely okay so uh, the AGL mod then. So for those of you who perhaps have played games like Blood Bowl, a very old game now that has a, a league system where your team advances as it goes along, the AGL manager mod kind of plays on that. Um, your players themselves don't get any better, uh, but you go through uh, a set number of games up to a maximum of eight, I believe uh, the league recommends. Um, mm -hmm. And you can gain more players. So you start with a team of four. Uh, you can gain more players, and you can also use things called audience points to buy sponsor and equipment as well. Um, so I guess we'll just have a little chat about the Aristos first of all. So as I just mentioned, we have this thing called audience points, and these are what allow you to buy different Aristos as the league goes on. Uh, the AGL document suggests starting with one of four preset teams, uh, but in the leagues that uh, Jason and I have been involved in, the people who've run them, so Andrew ran the Into the Hexadome one, and we're currently playing in the AGL Global League Season 3 that's being run by Martin, who's Harlequin of Death on the forums. Uh, they've both taken the option to allow people to construct their own teams. Um, so if you look at the Aristo cost you and the preset teams, you have two 16-cost Aristos, one 10-cost Aristo, and one 6-cost Aristo. So the leagues we've played in have allowed us to construct teams based on those costs, but choosing any Aristos that we want. Um, I don't know about you, Jason, I feel that works much better. Yeah, the one we played over the summer, the first one, um, the Into, Into the Hexadome League, we had to take two 16-cost Aristos, one 10-cost Aristo, and one 6-cost Aristo. Um, and I found that quite a constraint because of the way that I construct my teams. Um, for those of you who haven't heard me before, um, I am into the I am a heart of the hyperpower, um, and I run the heart of the hyperpower blog. Um, and I'm Mr. Panosiania um, in the Infinity World. Um, so when I am constructing my Aristea teams, I use exclusively Panosianian aligned Aristos. Um, and that really narrows, I mean, obviously that narrows the range of Aristos, um, which are available, but it makes a significant difference when I'm really tied down um, to specific point costs as well. Um, because basically uh, Panosiania has Valkyrie and Garter, and those are the only two 16-point Aristos that are available. So I had to take those two. Yeah, I I think because that was the first league we, we played in, so it was kind of house-ruling the constructed teams. I think it worked well, although it was a bit more constraining. I do prefer the way Martin's done it. Because um, I'm actually running one 16-point Aristo in our current uh, AGL manager mod. Um, and he did allow you to keep the leftover points. So after the first round, you can start spending your audience points on uh, other Aristos or on some of the other things that we're going to talk about. Now, uh, I won't go too much into the audience point system, but essentially you, you 
you get audience points based on uh, how you do in the game, if you win, if you lose, how many francs you cause, how many victory points you cause for those who aren't familiar with League. Um, I remember I was a guest on Into the Hexadome and I discussed the new AGL document when these rules first came out. And one of the things that I said is when you look at the cost of all the Aristos, that just seemed right. They seem to be based on pick rate. Um, yeah. And they initially looked to me uh, as right. You know, the, the 16.1s are certainly the ones that you see a lot that are pretty powerful. Uh, and as you move down, I think the power levels is, is broadly what where I would place it. Do you think that's still the case, Jason, after we've played some leagues? Um, I think there are only a few that kind of stand out um, as being mispriced. Um, certainly there's there's one 16-point Aristo um, who I know there's been a little bit of conversation about whether or not she should be at that price point, and that's Laxmi. Um, and certainly she has some excellent synergy with other 16-point Aristos. The way that she interacts, for example, with Miyamoto Mishashi and with Wild Bill especially, to be able to make their... Um, um, extra attack triggers more reliable um, is possibly an argument in favor of keeping her at that points cost but at the same time um, in and of herself uh, she's probably not quite on the same power level um, as Mushashi, Bill, um, Gata, Hexa, Cosmo and Valkyrie um, who are the other 16 pointers um, and she's probably the only one who maybe is is paying a little more than she should um and but at the other end um the likes of so fiddler hippolyta axel moonchild Gong um are all 10 points um and it's because they're new or they were new at the time that the document was put together 10 points is just kind of the default entry level um and there's definitely a couple of those that really really need to be 16 really really quickly <laughs> Fiddler yeah. probably being the top of that list for me <laughs> yeah and i think uh we had some conversation when the league rules first came out that these are obviously based on pick rate laxmi's pick rate has actually dropped quite a lot recently if you look at the different statistics so i was a little surprised that they maybe didn't alter her cost uh like you said moonchild and lay gong came in at 10 uh and i can definitely see both of them potentially moving up to 16 um, yeah and maybe if they want to keep a spread of the different costs, we'll see some altered and dropped down. Um, although, like you, I think Laxmi is possibly the only one of those 16 points who could uh, probably drop down. Um, although, if they want to drop Valk and Cosmo out, you know, my two favourite characters, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Indeed, I wouldn't mind paying less for um, Valk myself. But, I mean, just with reference to those um, Spanish meta um, pick rates, um, Laxmi sitting at number 22 for February, and then she climbed to number 19 um, in March. Um, but that's still some very middling pick rates um, in comparison to that 16-point cost that she's been um, sh that she's been hit with. Um and I think that uh, I think that currently she's she of all of the um, Aristos at their different points costs. I think she's probably the one um, who who I think should go down. Um, most interesting for me, actually, is um, some of the Aristos who are down at four points, which is the bottom end um, of the market. Um, so that's Mertier, T, 
Tauwu, Oberon, Bichet, Kuri Queen, Eclipse, and Final Boss. Um, and those of you who who have played against me know that there are a couple of picks in there that I am uh, I'm I'm a really big fan of, um, especially Eclipse and Kuri Queen, um, both of whom are extremely effective or can be extremely effective once you get your head around how they play. Um, but at the same time, if we if if these point scores are meant to be a pure reflection of their pick rate, it's certainly true that both of those are very low in terms of their overall pick rate. Um, and so maybe those costs are perfectly justified. Yeah, I think the bottom end, there are some real bargains. I remember us discussing it when the league rules were first dropped out. Eclipse for me is very solid, especially if you've paired that with someone like Hannibal or maybe Laxmi um, to get extra dice. Her attack's actually pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. And her raw stats are surprisingly good. She is very good at keeping people into place and from getting yes. away from people. Um, I also think Final Boss is a bargain at four. Uh, we had some discussion about Final Boss recently on the Discord channel, and I think he is an Aristo that on card just doesn't look particularly impressive. He just looks a bit so-so, but he's always performed really well for me. Uh, I think he's a very flexible character. I think Final Boss is a good example, um, like Curry Queen and Eclipse. Um, if you are willing to dedicate a little bit of time to some of these Aristos and um, actually get your head around how they play um, and get some experience with them on the table and, and, and play around with the combinations that work with them and, and put basically the, put that time and effort into them, then they pay out really, really well. Um, but at the same time, actually, there is one other who I think has been overcosted, um, and that's looking at the next tier up, the six-point tier. You've got Shona Carano sitting there, um, and I'm playing with Shona Carano a lot at the moment. Um, she's one of the Aristos that I'm putting putting a lot of effort into trying to trying to learn. So I'm, so I'm I'm trying right now to make Shona sing for me the way I've managed to get Curry and Eclipse to sing for me in the past. And I've got to be honest, the more I play her, the more I feel like she just isn't great. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Um, I mean, I think Aristea is in a, a really good spot in terms of the balance of the Aristos, even though... Oh, yes who you know you know are strong like bill and mushashi and the new ones moonchild and lake gong who we'll discuss a bit later uh, yep. they all have weaknesses they can all be uh controlled i don't think there's very many redundant aristos but i think shona and perhaps murta are kind of in that category of yeah they're just really not too good and there's just always better options yeah, I think generally speaking, across teams, you'll find that you can get away with playing with a with a weaker Aristo, especially if you've got that experience with them um, and you know how to make them sing for you. Um, but I had a match uh, about a week ago now um, where I played against Mushashi, Wild Bill, Valkyrie, and Hexa. Um, so if you're looking at the game from the perspective of the mod AGL manager, that's four 16-point Aristos. So that's four top 10 pick 
Aristos, if you want to look at it from that perspective, um, looking at the pick rates um, in the Spanish meta. And it was a very hard, very, very hard match. I really felt the entire time like I was playing uphill. Um, and I, I felt the difference in quality there. And um, while I agree that generally speaking, Ariste is in an excellent place in terms of the overall balancing, um, certainly at that top end, there's a noticeable difference. And I think at the bottom end, there's a noticeable difference. And if you run into that, you, you can run into that a little bit hard. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so... One thing that I think leagues are, are good for uh, is, uh, and this maybe perhaps won't apply to you as much because of your own Panoceana restrictions, but I think mm. they're a, a good place for trying out some different characters, sometimes by force because of the audience point cost, um, especially where, you know, if you know you're only going four or five rounds, you might just pick up a few of the lower cost Aristos just to have a few more options. Mm. Uh, uh, I think leagues are a really good opportunity to do that. What, what about yourself? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Like for this, the one that we're playing in at the moment, um, my starting alignment uh, was Valkyrie, Hannibal, Prism, and Shona. Um, and I'm very comfortable with Valkyrie and Hannibal. I've played with them a lot. I feel very confident with them as Aristos on the table. Um, but for me, I Prism and Shona with both picks because I wanted to experiment with them. Um, Prism, I know theoretically can be very strong, um, but previously when I have played her, I've really had a hard time. Um, I, I, I was constantly falling one or two hexes short of being able to get to people between her movement and um, the relatively short range of um, her attack. Um, and I, I really felt like I... I was having a hard time making her um, affect the control that I saw other people getting from her. Um, and so I picked her specifically so that I can practice with her, so that I, I can start to make her sing. And as I said, Shona, again, uh, I've specifically chosen because I want to learn how to use that Aristo. I want to see, I kind of want to see her at her best. Um, and I've I have found that there is some synergy between her, her and Hannibal. There, there definitely is, and I've gotten some good effect out of that. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I have long been in the camp um, who have argued that Hannibal is an Aristo who makes otherwise weak Aristos much better, and that maybe with Hannibal isn't necessarily the best way to evaluate them because he can make just about the entire range work because <laughs> that's kind of what he does. Yeah. he. I mean, I've got him in my lead team as well. I do like Hannibal a lot, but he does feel necessary for some of those lower point characters. Um, so I, I'm doing the same. I'm running Senor Massacre and 8-Ball in, in the current league that we're playing in because I want to try them out a lot more and get used to them. Uh, I want 8-Ball to be really good because once we uh, come out of this lockdown, we're recording during the coronavirus pandemic, so we're currently stuck at home. I just want to play the the alt 8-Ball model because it is such a thing of beauty. 
So, Are you spending some time putting a beautiful paint job on that beautiful model? Well, I haven't painted him yet, no, because I've got so many things to paint, but I, I am intending to, and I just want to be able to make him work reliably because I want to use that model because it is the first of the old models that I've looked at and been like, I just have to have that model. It is so beautiful. Yeah, I've got to be honest, um, one of our uh, local, actually, to be fair, a couple of our locals here in Auckland um, have been really big fans um, of the alt skins um, and play them a lot. Um, and so we, I think actually that's fed into, here locally, we're not big on running um, the Zlavin mod um, because... Um, mirror matches in terms of having the same aristo in both teams doesn't tend to bother us so much i think because one of the people who tends to play similar aristos um to to the rest of us um plays with basically all of the alt skins and so you don't have the same model on the table and somehow that just seems to make quite a big psychological difference um to playing you know, two different Maximus. If one of them is the Spartan skin and the other one is the regular Mototronica skin of Maximus, it just doesn't feel like exactly the same Aristo, even though it is, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, should we move on from Aristos then and talk yeah. quite briefly about sponsors, uh, I think? Um well, I think the first and most important thing to point out is that when you are using uh, the mod AGL manager, you don't use sponsors. So you, yes. you don't have a sponsor automatically and you don't have one in the first round at all. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyone who has gained sponsors through uh, playing in tournaments and so forth, I know I've got uh, a few opened up now. Um, yeah, you don't get to use them. Instead, you buy them with your audience points from playing games. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think they all the ones available in the AGL Manager mod are the same as the ones that you can open up, but no nation sponsors. Yeah, um, it's interesting that they didn't make um, the national sponsors available, but um, I think the well, idea... You can't use any mods, any other mods with AGL manager, or you're not supposed to. So Zlavin doesn't come in. So I guess nation sponsorship isn't needed. True. Um, I guess that would be, and yeah, the, the Curry Queen mods, the other one that um, can knock Aristos out of your um, your set of selections. So I guess if those other mods aren't being used, though, interestingly, um, both of the leagues that we have played in with this mod have ignored that because we've used the arena mod as well to we allow have, us to yeah. use Omidon. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we've also ignored the team construction, so I, I think that's so. okay. Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> I think Zlavin just couldn't work in a league because uh, particularly if you use the suggested teams, but obviously there are a lot of dupes. Um, yeah, there are. There are. I, I think it's probably worth pointing out, actually, um, before we talk too much more about the sponsors, um, that those initial alignments, um, the default ones, are all from the core eight um, from the original box. Yes. Um, yeah. So it, it does. I guess it would be good for an introduction for new players. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure you'd want to start playing Aristea for the first time playing the mod AGL manager. Yeah, I like agree. It feels like diving in at the deep end. 
I also <laughs> feel like it doesn't acknowledge the fact that most uh, miniature gamers have this terrible habit of just wanting to buy everything as well. Yeah, buy. I I played one sample game of Aristea, and now I bought literally every expansion. What do now? <laughs> yeah, I, I've done the same with Marvel Crisis Protocol recently. Um, <laughs> I did the same for Aristea. Um, but yeah, the sponsors, uh, I don't think we necessarily need to go through all the sponsors. Uh, they can be read in the AGL document for anyone who's listening. Uh, but I think it's having them and being able to buy them with audience points is, is really good because opening them up normally through normal games generally requires you to do either quite well in tournaments or quite badly in tournaments. Um, I think that's one of my issues with the sponsors. If you just kind of turn up and you do okay and you win a couple of games and you don't open up that many sponsors through the normal uh, AGL system. I agree. Um, it's it's actually something that um, I think we should be having a conversation about um, in terms of the access um, amongst the Aristea Warcores um, with... I guess V is the right person for us to have this conversation with. I, I would very much like to start seeing sponsors um, more as um, like mini rewards, have mini challenges. Um, so executing a certain number of frags or um, scoring a certain number of points. I'm sure we could find some much more interesting ideas than those two terrible examples I just came up with off the top of my head right now. Um, but basically add a little mini game element because at the moment you're right. Um, unless, unless basically you're at the top of tournaments or at the bottom of tournaments, you don't get access to the special sponsors. It's actually not that easy. Um, yeah. I think nations was brought in as an attempt to, try and overcome that so you did get something but i think uh the general sponsors are a bit more interesting so i, th I think there should be better ways of opening them up uh, yeah i agree wholeheartedly i think the the example of how you get access to national sponsorship of playing a specific aristo or some or a specific subgroup of aristos in a set number of matches is a good example of the kind of mechanic you could use to unlock some of the special sponsors yeah definitely um i like the way that you just have access to them in the manager mod though uh the cheapest is three audience points the most expensive are five audience points so they're very easy to to access and to start making use of quite early i think which is uh, a really good time to try them out the same with trying out different aristos i think um their inclusion and the ease of access to them is a, a good thing yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think that um, just paying a handful of audience points is a good approach, um, especially for this mod. Um, but the much more interesting part is the equipment. Oh, yes. Yes, I love the equipment. So I think it's possibly worth saying at this point that leagues uh, or the AGL Manager League uh, isn't quite as balanced as normal competitive Aristea play. Uh, no because of the way it forces your hand in terms of, of picking Aristo. So you're unlikely to ever come up against a team that has four of the really good Aristos, the 16-point Aristos, and I think that's a good thing. But also yeah. you have the equipment, um, 
which uh, changes some of the cards uh, or allows you to do extra things. And I think this, for me, is where the AGL Manager mod really shines. I think you get some super interesting things in here that are really fun. Uh, and I really enjoy this aspect of the league more than, than anything else. Now, I think it's worth pointing out at this stage that with the two new standard tactics decks, um, the majority of the special equipment that you can buy for the manager mod basically doesn't function if you want to use either of the two new standard decks um, because they modify tactics that only exist in the original core box standard tactics deck. That is true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and that, to me, has discouraged. That's discouraged me from using some of these, which I would otherwise um, find very interesting. Um, I, I think one of the key things is, I mean, three of the three of the upgrades are basically the same thing. Um, for the three different dice adders, um, one of you, one of them gives you an extra special when you roll a yellow dice, as well as giving you a bonus yellow dice. One of them gives you an extra success when you roll when you add an orange dice, and one of them gives you an extra block when you roll an extra blue dice. Um, and that's just really, really good. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean. It's worth noting for those listening who aren't familiar with it, those 14 audience points. So you're unlikely to be getting them early in a uh, in a league. Um, they are very powerful effects, but they, they do cost a lot for it. Yeah, and then um, another one which takes fortune favours the badass and, add, and you can add a single success block or special result to the roll after you've done your re-roll um i mean that takes fortune favors the badass which is objectively the worst card in the original standard deck and makes it very good yeah Uh, i think the 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 real standout for me uh in these is legal protection um so that is another 14 audience cost um a piece of equipment uh, and it means that your no cannot be knowed um so i know there's been some discussion on into the hexstone before about the use of tactics and very often you'll keep your own no to make sure you can get that really key tactic through um, yeah. your opponent can't cancel it and you end up getting the no of the no quite a lot so yeah. having legal protection means that if you play a no your opponent can't trump it they can't cancel it with their no which i think is fantastic so the best use of that i have seen was somebody running who had who bought that in the second round and was running Tauwu, um and that's just oh. Oh. really solid <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, uh, I play Tao quite a lot. Um, I haven't played him for a while, actually, as I've, I've moved on to New Aristos, but he is obnoxious. Yeah. Uh, having two no's that can't be cancelled is pretty horrible. Yeah. 
Um, though to be fair, advanced tactical analysis, pulling three tactics with catch your breath, even if you have to put one of them at the bottom of your deck, that that's really good too. I, I think all of those 14 audience cost um, equipment options are basically really, really good. But at the same time, 14 audience cost is huge. So yeah. they'd better be good. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what the average is, but I, I would say probably um maybe six to eight uh maybe if you lose and maybe eight to ten if you win uh it's probably your average across a game yes uh, um, so these are probably costing two games worth of audience points yeah uh, and of also two games of buying nothing else as well yeah exactly um and then there's a couple more um, infirmary assistant that lets you um, chuck a tactic to remove a status um, once a game, um, but that it can be even from an Aristo on the bench. Yeah, this is that could be very good. Tactic. Yeah, but essentially means you can bring someone back from the bench on their full five energy, um, yep. so they can come back, they can move and attack someone generally. I mean, that's Pavati's best tactic. That's, that's what her best tactic does. <laughs> yeah. I, I took infirmary assistant in the into the hexadome league that we played, and it was just really, really solid for me. Um, it won me one game because I brought Valk down on full health. She sprinted in and just exploded someone in a scoring zone as beautiful as she to do. Yeah, beautiful. And then team mascot. I think this is. Very, very well priced at six audience. Yeah, points. it's it's the only thing I've actually picked up. So once a game, when you're supposed to hand over the underdog token, you keep it for the next round instead. And man, is that good! <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was uh, in one of the earlier AGL documents. Get this skill as a sponsor. Uh, yes, but I think they realised it was just too good in competitive play. Um, uh, particularly in things like Blitz, for example, where you score really yeah. quickly. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it was Shang. I think it was Shang Mei, um, which is now uh, makes you the underdog for um, deployment and starting player, uh, which is good, but not ridiculously good. Um, I think in in the AGL Manager mod, pairing Shang Mei and T Scott is really solid though. So you can just yeah. choose to be the underdog to start and then you can keep that underdog. So you can potentially uh, guarantee yourself underdog rounds one and rounds two of the game. Oh, actually, actually the I don't know whether this is different from the regular text on Shang Mei, but in the AGL Manager mod version, um, Shang Mei doesn't make you the underdog for the first round. Um, it's only for who is player A and player B. Um, so who uh, okay. And the deployment step. Oh, um, yeah. So I've, it is more I've... limited than that. But I mean, that's 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 not to undersell team mascot it's great it's the only piece of equipment i managed to buy in the last league um i will definitely be buying it again in this league that is how good it is it's amazing yeah i think team mascot is uh, and it's six audience points i think it's an early buy to go for i think it's really good yeah um and last but not least night out um which lets you basically lets you ban an aristo um it doesn't you can't do it when somebody only has four aristos in their team <laughs> which i almost wish you could because it would be so i mean it'd be horribly horribly unbalanced 
to play four okay. Aristos against three. But it, at the same time, it would be hilarious. Imagine the shame if you lost, though, against that. Oh, like, oh, yeah, no. You'd you never live that your opponent and then you lost the game anyway. <laughs> yeah, Night Out's really good. Uh, so it's a one use only. So unlike all the others, get added to your roster if you like permanently for the league night out costs eight audience points so it's not cheap and it's one use only um, and it's essentially buying yourself a uh, a Corey queen um mod um so yeah as jason says you just get to ban a character outright um i took it in the, la- the last league we run uh but my opponent sold all their aristos before our game so i didn't get to use it which was upsetting oh <laughs> yeah. it is yeah because they went they went back down to four aristos because they'd had they'd had it happen in the game before to them and lost a really key piece of their team and they don't want it to happen again um but yeah it is it is solid it is good uh and that's something we didn't mention actually you can sell your aristos um you yeah that's right you get half their cost back if you've decided that you don't want to use them anymore yeah, especially uh, I think probably depending on the way the league's constructed, um, if you've picked up Aristos for a specific um, for a specific match, um, then it's possible you might want to sell them afterwards. Um, but at the same time, most of the really specific dedicated Aristos who you might who who I really think you'd consider doing that aren't very many audience points so you're not going to get much back from them yeah um i think leagues tend to be uh, or certainly the ones we've played in have both been five rounds so that's fairly short you don't have a lot of games to be selling and then rebuying yeah i agree um i i think it would definitely be something i would expect to see more of if you forced people to start with the initial alignments that are described in the AGL doc. Oh, yes. Um, so I think you have Bill or Mushashi. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if yeah, basically if everyone has the, the set four from the core box, um, then I think in round two and onwards, you'd see people selling off some of those because they just didn't want to be using them for the entire, um, for the entire league. Yeah, and I think that's another reason why just allowing people to track their own teams is, is a better idea. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and I think that the it, it, that's probably the single... If you were seriously looking at running the mod AGL manager, um, the, the, the one thing I would definitely recommend um, would be altering the initial alignment and allowing people to either pick two 16-point um, Aristos, one 10 and one 6, I think that that's an okay approach if you wanted to go that way. Um, but I think giving people the pool of points and just saying you've got, what is it, 32, 42, 48 Four. points. Yeah, you've got 48 points, buy yourself four Aristos and pocket the change. I think that's a perfectly acceptable way to do it. And it doesn't seem to be negatively affecting the league that we're currently playing. No, the league that we're currently playing though does keep to the maximum so you still can't have more than two 16 point aristos so you if you had 48 you can just uh buy 
Uh, oh, you can't do that anyway, can you? You no. couldn't anyway. Yeah, uh, to be fair, it, it yeah. was a rule that you weren't allowed to, but I don't think you need to say it because you can't. <laughs> um, but you points do don't work. Have, yeah, but you, you couldn't buy in the current league that we're doing four 10-point Aristos, for example. You still have one that is up to six points. So you could buy a four or six-point Aristo, but you still have to have one in that lower bracket. Actually, that's a good point. Though, personally, I don't feel like that restriction is necessary. I think somebody starting with four 10 points probably would be fine. But I would caveat that by saying uh, I'm also assuming that Moonchild, Legong, and Fiddler especially would have their points changed before yeah, that. A lot because of Legong and Moonchild in this league, actually. <laughs> Because right now, yeah, exactly. Right now, if you let me pick four ten-point Aristos, and I didn't, wasn't so dedicated to Panos Yania, um, <laughs> I'd start by picking Moonchild, Legong, and Fiddler, and then I'd add Hannibal to that, and then I'd laugh, and I'd <laughs> laugh, and I'd laugh, and I'd laugh. <laughs> okay, so that is uh, an overview of the league. Uh, I think you have to acknowledge it's not quite as well balanced as, if you like, properly competitive play. Um, but it's still uh, an awful lot of fun. Uh, I've really enjoyed the the leagues that I've played in. I definitely want to play in more, uh, and I'd certainly recommend it to anybody listening. Um, the other thing I think um, that I would suggest, and it would be an interesting play experience, would be to make a weekend out of it um, and do um, maybe six games over a weekend, over the course of a weekend, um, get a group of friends together um, and you know, either run it um, as an official event or not, um, and, but play through a series of games using the mod AGL manager over a shorter period of time. Um, if you can't commit long term to uh, a, a series of games um, like a, like the, a normal league setup where you're playing over several weeks, then maybe consider using this um, and, and just taking one weekend and doing it over that time um, because I think it'll still be a really enjoyable experience because, yeah, I've had heaps of fun with the Mod AGL Manager and I too would highly recommend it. Yeah, I definitely agree that it could be run uh, like a tournament, like an event over uh, a day or two. I think both the ones we've played in have been five games. I'd really like to play an eight-game league at some point, which is the, the maximum recommended, although I don't think there's anything stopping you going beyond that. But I think uh, league games... It'd start getting before. a bit crazy, maybe, with the people who were getting really big audience points totals. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, leagues, in my experience, from playing games like, like Blood Bowl, for example, tend to better that the sort of slightly longer they go on and the more things develop but um, mm -hmm. yeah it's a great mod a lot of fun would really recommend it absolutely